Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face episode 82 right here on Sifted Games. Well, I guess we're actually on Twitch, but uh, it's been a big week this week. We got the final specs for Xbox Scorpio, and we're going to be talking about it. And I finally got my hands on Persona 5, so we're going to talk about that a little more now that we're further into it. And we're going to talk about the latest game for from one of my dear friends, David Jaffe, Drawn to Death. Let's go. Howdy ho, Sifters! It's Game Face on Sifted Games. We are ready to rock. We are locked and loaded. Big news this week from the Microsoft camp. We uh, finally got the final specs of Xbox Scorpio exclusive from, for Eurogamer. Uh, boy, that digital foundry... Uh, Splinter that they have mm -hmm. paying big dividends. Some uh, some sharp cookies over there. Yeah, I mean Eurogamer at this point is getting every single hardware reveal. Because remember they got the specs for Switch first, mm -hmm. and uh, PlayStation 4 Pro first, and now Scorpio first. Well, they have cornered the market. That was a really really smart acquisition by Eurogamer. Well, especially because they uh, you know there's nobody else that does it better. Yeah. So oh, they're great. Yeah, I mean I watch every single you know when we curate. You can't sit and watch the whole thing of everything. Right. And uh, But I watch pretty much every single piece of content Digital Foundry puts out, I watch from beginning to end. Uh, if you're not checking out their stuff on Sifted, you should make sure that you do. Really good highbrow content, which is the type of stuff we're trying to get out to you guys in the first place. So now that we've fluffed up Eurogamer and Digital Foundry, <laughs> which are both doing a great job, um, what do you think about these specs, Matt? Um, pretty strong. Yeah. Um, like really kind of blows the doors off the Pro, uh, whereas the Pro was kind of an incremental upgrade. This yeah. is like, I mean, you've said it before, and Pactor, I think, has said it before. In any other generation, this would be the Xbox 2, right. or the Xbox or they Next, call it. or whatever the yeah. hell. Um, you know, they're saying 4K, 60 frames for just about everything. They showed Forza, you know, a Forza Engine demo running, at, you know, you 4K, know, 4K 60. 60, which, I mean, to be fair... They didn't pick that by accident. The Force engine is incredibly streamlined and incredibly efficient. So, you know, I, I think even the Digital Foundry article said, you know, we have to wait and see what other you know, developers do on this. Um, but it's a very, very powerful piece of hardware. And, like, if you don't have a competent gaming PC right now, like, you might really want to look at this instead, I think. Well, it's, we're seeing a video of the Xbox. For, the for whatever, I mean, the cost probably going to be pretty high, but I feel like... This is comparable to, to, to a PC you would build for more money than that. Yeah, we're seeing video right now of uh, Xbox One S. Why did they release the Xbox One S? I don't know. I like, mean, I I, asked, look, I get I would... making a smaller Xbox, but why include, like, the 4K blah, blah, blah and the HDR when you have the Scorpio coming? Do you feel like... Maybe they were testing the water. Maybe. Do you think the One it sold S... well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it might... Keep people from buying the Scorpio though, because they just know. invested in an Xbox. I mean, I guess it could, but you know, we'll be uh, pretty far out at that point from the S. And uh, you know, maybe they're maybe they're kind of in for the long haul on the Scorpio. Maybe the Scorpio is just there for when you want to upgrade. For when you know, they're hoping that when you, you know, when people move into the 4K TV, which is going to become cheaper and cheaper, and you know, more and more people pick up like a cheap 4K at Black Friday or whatever these days. Maybe they're just hoping that people sort of uh, upgrade along with it. You know, like that would be, and, and eventually I'm sure you're going to be starting to see, even though the games are going to have to run on the one, uh, you're going to start seeing 
games that outclass the competition on this thing. Um, well, they're saying full backwards compatibility, yep. so all Xbox One games are going to play on it. And they're saying that, like, um, was it the like it's even going to impact 360 backwards compatibility play, which like, makes sense. Like, those are going to play better it, too. I mean, it makes sense. The Xbox One and Xbox One yeah. S make those older games look and run better. Yep. Um, so you're looking at a, several magnitudes of improvement with the Scorpio. Um, I don't think it solves Microsoft's biggest problem, though. Which is the software. Software. And hardware is worthless without games to play on it, in mm. all honesty. And that's just something Microsoft just doesn't have. Um, well, at the very least, at least they're, they're probably not going to be the, the, the system that runs stuff worse now. Yeah. Um, so the multi-platform thing might start to turn around. But I feel like people are kind of dug in on their choice for the generation. And not having the generational divide might backfire on them to some degree because people are, people are in for the long haul with their PlayStations at this point. Switching over to another system that can't play all the games you own is a, is a tough jump. You know, it's why people, even people that are like, you know, the same thing you see on like the phones. Like, even people that are dissatisfied with like Apple... They don't jump to Android a lot of times because they're you know they're years dug into the iOS like apps they've bought. Yeah. So you know you don't want to have to start over in that regard. I mean that's the key for really any piece of electronics is content because mm -hmm. the content is what keeps you there. Look, a lot of people using your iPhone analogy, a lot of people have an iPhone. My wife has an iPhone and an iPad, and she has paid for and downloaded a ton of movies to her iPad and her iPhone, and so. The idea of her jumping to Android and kind of making all those purchases irrelevant isn't even something that she's willing to consider. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you start talking about iTunes and things like that, which is comparable to like a PSN or Xbox, the Xbox Store or whatever. It's you're you are tied into that platform at that point because you have this huge library of games, and a lot of people don't have every console or even two consoles. So once you said, as you said, they're dug in with the one platform, it's very hard to motivate them to jump over. And typically what can get people to do that, or at least convince people to get a console as a second console, is a must-buy exclusive. Mm. A killer app, as we've and called it for years. If the Scorpio has that, we don't know about it yet. Yeah, in, I mean, in my opinion. I mean, to me, a Scorp uh, a Forza game is not a killer app. No. I don't it's care a, it's how It's a nice thing to have. Yeah, I don't care but... how good it looks. I don't care how well it runs. It's it's not what someone buys a console for. Now I would argue back in the PlayStation 2 era, PlayStation 1 era, things like that actually did have a pretty big impact. Yeah, I think Gran I mean, Turismo 3 sold a fair number of PlayStation 2s. Yeah, it was bundled in with the hardware, yeah. and that's it the did. That's the PlayStation 2 I bought. Yeah, a lot the, of people did. Bundled. I don't even like Gran Turismo 3 that much. It was just, it was about time to buy a PlayStation 2, and if I could get it with that game, all the better. Yeah, and, and so you look at a game like Forza or Forza Horizon, which I, we're looking at right now, those games are not going to move the needle no. or, or convince people to buy. Like they're more Scorpio. something you buy because you have the hardware and you want to have something to play today. Yeah, and I think it's something too that you kind of have in the back of your mind. You don't buy yeah. it for that, but you think to yourself, oh, oh I can have that. I'll too. be able to buy those too. Right. And they're good games, and they're not something that would convince me to spend whatever this is going to cost on a new piece of hardware. But it helps you make that decision. It kind of yeah. it's, it's a it's a a fence shover. It's it nice shoves you off the fence. It's a nice incentive, and it's but it's not the thing that makes you sit up and go, "Oh, how about that one?" Yeah. I don't, if if the Scorpio has one of those, we, we I don't think we see that till E3, if at all. I mean, we'll. Because you start talking about scale bound 
got canceled. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> like, could really that would have been a nice bit of variety. Even if it wasn't very good, it would have been a nice bit of variety. Well, the irony, too, is that at least from the leaks that came out about what happened was that it was the power thing. That the, yeah. it, they couldn't get it to run at a decent frame rate. Scorpio should fix all that. Like, seemed very short-sighted. Yeah. Knowing that this console was coming, knowing what the issues were with Scalebound. You think they might bring it back? It's possible. They brought back Phantom Dust after yeah. they had stopped production on that, and now it's back in production. A brand new screenshot of that came out this past week. Um, but you start looking at the rest of the Xbox library of exclusives, Gears of War. They just put out a new Gears of War 4. Mm. It didn't really move the needle either. But it was one of those, it was like we were talking about earlier, it's like one of those games where like you know you're going to be able to get it right. on that console, and that's great, but is it really going to make you buy a console? At this point, yeah. I don't know that there are enough hardcore Gears fans that they're just going to buy a console for. I know one of the things that, I mean, again, it doesn't really apply to me because ostensibly everything they release would also be playable on Windows. Right. Um, but I'd tell you one of the things that would get my interest would be a, like a full bore, like let's realize the potential of it. Like we played Breath of the Wild and Horizon, here we go, Fable 4. Yeah. Like a Fable 4 that takes, you know, that takes the balls to the wall, like you, open world approach if a, would be interesting. If a developer with an excellent pedigree yeah. were working on yeah. it. It can't just be Fable 4. Like, even right. if they were... Well, well, that's why I'm saying, like, you know, in the vein of Breath of the Wild or, or Horizon, um, something on that quality level. Right. Uh, but bringing Fable back in that regard, like, that would be something that'd be like, oh, okay, you got my attention. Like I, don't I, know how, I don't know how widespread the attention would be for something like that, but I feel like you'd at least get the hardcores, like, word of mouth on that. I don't even think bringing back Lionhead. Say Microsoft no. announces tomorrow and they're like, hey, we're reforming Lionhead and we're going to have them work on Fable 4. I don't think that would even do it. No. It would have to be some other developer who has an excellent pedigree, like a Naughty Dog like level. Platinum. Like, like when we canceled Scalebound, well, yeah, we, gave, I... we gave Fable 4 to Platinum. <laughs> Using the Nier engine or whatever. And you start talking about... I can think of worse things. Yeah. And you start talking about the Halo franchise. Um, Do we have to? I, I mean... I it, am so... Nah, on Halo right now. Like so I don't know what I. I don't know what they could do to bring me back on that. Well, I mean, I enjoy playing Halo, and I enjoyed Halo Five, but it's not. It's no longer a franchise. It's going to convince people to mm -hmm. spend money on hardware. It's just not. And you just kind of lost the continuity. It's not like Call of Duty, where like every every year you get a different one, and it sort of feels like. You know, you're keeping up with... It's like every season... It's like a Madden thing. It's like yeah. every season you get the new upgrade and the new new stuff and the cool things. And then, like, Halo just kind of stopped doing that at some Well, point. I mean, once it left Bungie, I think a lot yeah. of people just organically lost interest in it. Which probably isn't fair. Because 343 has been doing a good job on the franchise. Try. I mean, I don't... I don't, wouldn't say they did a good job on 4. I think, yeah. four, I think 4 was, a, was a, a, a gut punch to the franchise. And I think 5 brought it back around to some degree... But they still haven't quite recaptured what made those older games great. And part of it is just it's no fun to fight the damn Prometheans. Yeah. I, I bang that drum over and over and over again, I know. But like like those enemies are not enjoyable to fight. And if they can like And when you're get fighting away them constantly over and over. Yeah, it's like all that's you the fight. whole game, yeah. Like it was, I mean, just switching to, to multiplayer and like not fighting those stupid things, those stupid bullet sponges or those things like I'm just gonna wait until you open your stupid thing and I'm gonna sh okay, and then I shot you and now you disintegrate. Great. That's the other thing, is like there's not even the satisfaction of seeing like like the enemy like fall cool. No, you're they right. Just sort of, they just sort of de-res and that's the end of it. It's like there's no they turn there's into no, mist, yeah. Yeah, there's no visceral satisfaction doing anything in the in the in the game when you're fighting the Prometheans. I don't I don't find it engaging. And if they could just get back to sort of I don't want to say back to basics, I'm not saying like reboot it and go back to the Covenant War, but it's like let me fight something that like 
has some meat to it, you know? I mean, look, it's inevitable. And for God's sake, let me play as Master Chief. Yeah. Or or take him out of the series. Like, one or the other. Like, yeah. like if you want the, the movie, the Halo games to be about Locke now, like, commit to it. But don't, like, keep teasing me with Master Chief stuff. Also, I really don't care what's happening to Cortana. Like, yeah. Like, just, I know this is supposed to be, like, the new trilogy they're working on here, but it's like, just just move. Just get on. Like, learn the, learn the lesson Bungie did with Destiny. It's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta give him something more than that. Yeah. And I feel like that's the next step for Halo. I mean, a decay of interest in a franchise is just natural. It's yeah. going to happen. Unless you drastically innovate. We saw it with Zelda. You know, mm-hmm. Skyward Sword, nowhere near as much interest as the game before. And it was just a stair step downward. But Nintendo reinvigorates the franchise by completely revamping with Breath of the Wild. And suddenly Zelda's awesome again. Mm-hmm. And that's something Microsoft has not done. When it's moved these properties over to these new developers... The approach has been, if it's as good as the old games, that's good enough. Mm-hmm. And in, in all honesty, a lot of them haven't been as good as the old games. Um, and the other part of it, too, is that Microsoft has not put enough emphasis on creating new IP. Yep. That's another way that Sony is totally kicking its ass. Well, that's why like, I keep saying, like, you know... And like, we've been saying we, like, this have, for years. Right. And also, like, that's why I say, we haven't. if there's a killer app that gets people to want a Scorpio more than anything else, we haven't seen it yet. And I would go further to say... That it's not a franchise we know about. It would be something new that Microsoft unveils at E3 that we're like, wow, nobody saw that coming. And it's really interesting and it really captures your imagination. And I really want to play that now. And does Microsoft have that in them in 2017? I don't know. I mean, the irony to me is that Microsoft is putting the cart before the horse. It is focusing on hardware. And I mean, Mm. despite Xbox One, the base model, being a bit underpowered compared to PlayStation 4... You could still argue that its focus was still on hardware with the Kinect and things like that. Mm-hmm. And be, becoming... Not anymore, they took the port out. Right. <laughs> but, you know, being this all-encompassing entertainment hub mm-hmm. for your living room, you know, it was always about the hardware and not the content. And yeah. Microsoft is a software company. It's like, why somehow, has it gone wrong? Well, and also, somehow they managed to make a bad OS, and Microsoft, that's what they do yeah. they make OS's? That's like how did wh- that? That's where all that money came from. Yeah, that used to be like this 360 strength. It was a, such a better user experience than the PS3, and like it's it just totally. I mean, I'm not saying the PS4's user experience is perfect, but like it it's a reversal now. And even though they gave it enough RAM to handle what they needed the OS to do on the Xbox One, it was slow RAM. It was, yeah. it was well, like, not it was with pre- the Scorpio. Not, not Holy anymore. crap! I can't believe the RAM they're putting. Oh, in that, that thing. thing is gonna be lightning. <laughs> it's really unreal, but. Again, if there's nothing to play on the hardware right. that is compelling, no one's going to care. Well, I remember, one of the main things that really pushed the 360 was the fact that they were so well-supported by third parties. Yeah. And it was just the default system you bought everything on. And the question, you know, Call of Duty used to have the promotion on 360 that it has now on PlayStation 4. So, like, can you win any of that back? And, look, they lost Destiny, Destiny 2. They've yeah. already announced it has an exclusive marketing deal with Sony. Um, I mean, they've lost Activision. Activision's gone. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole other part of it, too. It wasn't committed enough to maintaining those relationships and those marketing partnerships. Mm -hmm. That paid huge dividends, let's be honest. Particularly when Call of Duty was in its heyday, and it was selling $25 million But that was the Microsoft of, you know, the Xbox One launch was this company that thought they were about to launch the set-top box and that the games didn't matter so much anymore. I mean, Sony... You could could smell that. Yeah. I mean, Sony's got to be a little salty because it jumps in on that Call of Duty deal and the franchise starts to decline. <laughs> yeah. Like, Microsoft was very fortunate to hit it in that sweet spot yeah. and get all the biggest releases from Call of Duty when it had kind of that timed exclusive thing for DLC going on. Is, the, is, the, is Call of Duty still the biggest thing? 
It think? is still the best-selling game, yeah. yeah. It's just not by, like, five miles anymore. Other than, like, like GTA V's, like, obscene legs. Right, yeah. <laughs> so what do you think about the price here? Digital Foundry is throwing around 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. As basically, basically, what they did was they looked at all the parts that were in it. They yeah, went priced to, it they out. priced it out with suppliers and things like that and came to probably around $500 to the retail. That sounds to the, about to the consumer. on target to me. Is I mean, that too much, though? Because what's be. going to happen is... Play- That's how much Sony's- the Xbox One cost with the Kinect included. So, And that was a lot. Yeah. Especially considering what the Pro will cost by then. Well, yeah, because I guarantee you what's going to happen is it, E3, Microsoft's going to say... They may not announce a price at E3. In fact, I'd be really surprised if they do announce a price. But whenever they do, whenever it does announce a price, all Sony's going to do on that day is drop the cost of the PlayStation 4 mm. Pro. And it could be fifty bucks. It could be a hundred bucks. It's gonna be the first E3. All that's why you don't want to. I don't think they want to announce the price at E3 because it's gonna be the first E3 all over again. Right. Where Sega got up there, it's like, oh, it's available right now for three ninety nine, and the Sony guy just walked up to the podium and leaned down and said two hundred ninety nine ninety nine and stepped walked away. away. Like that was, that was it, just and be, that was the end of Sega. Yeah. Or it could be just like the E3 where the Xbox One and PlayStation Four were announced, where Microsoft went first. Says yeah. this is what our our hardware does. This is what it costs. And then Sony came out and said, "We're not doing all that stuff you guys have complained about for the last twenty four hours." How about some games? Yeah. How about some Shenmue? How about some? You know, it, it was. It was. Uh, I don't know if Sony has the pipeline for that this year, but I feel like they could probably still pull it off if if Microsoft doesn't have some real interesting software up their sleeve. Yeah, I mean the other angle of it too is that Microsoft. I mean, it, look, it's never really got a foothold in Japan, mm-hmm. but it's really bad now. I mean, Xbox One is sold way worse even than Xbox 360 did in Japan. All and you know, Microsoft made a concerted effort at, in the early life cycle of the Xbox 360 to get all these Japanese developers on board. And while it didn't really work for Japan, although again, it sold better, the Xbox 360 sold better there than Xbox One is, it helped in the States because mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in the United States who love Japanese games. And especially now, where you're kind of seeing a revival of the Japanese development community. They're starting to really crank out excellent games again. This is a really bad time for Microsoft to kind of be on the outs with the Japanese development community. I, uh, I don't know, man. I, uh, I'm all over the Scorpio, by the way. Like, I'm really excited for it. Like, I think it's great that you're going to be able to get a 4K capable console for even if it's $500. I mean, just to get a video card for your PC that can run stuff at 4K, mm-hmm. you're probably going to spend around that. At least 4K at 60. Like the RX 480, you can probably get for a couple hundred bucks, and that does like bare bones 4K. But for the most part, you're spending three, four, or $500 for a card on your PC, and, you, and then you, know, you still have to buy a 4K monitor and blah, blah, blah. And a lot of people don't want to buy a monitor that's just going to sit in their back room with their pc you know people are much more apt to buy a 4k tv that they're going to use to consume everything with so i'm excited about that part of it you know being able to get a 4k capable console at that price but without software it's all moot it's a moot point it doesn't matter and i feel like if microsoft were smart maybe it doesn't show or maybe it does show forza running in 4k 60 Mm -hmm. whenever digital foundry runs its story but at the very least, you need to announce something there. Maybe mm-hmm. you have to say, hey, we've formed a partnership with blah, 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 and they've been working on this game for a year and a half already. It's going to be ready, available at launch. Maybe you don't even show it. You just announce it with a screenshot or a logo or whatever. But something to get those juices flowing with consumers because it's the double whammy of, hey, you convinced all these people to buy an Xbox One when the Xbox One S came out. Don't forget, it won like four or five months in a row of the MPDs. And so all these people were like, yeah, I'm jumping in. And they got themselves an Xbox One. And here comes 
this new hardware. So you've already kind of taken away some of your potential customers because you released this other kind of half step in between. I, I just don't get the long play here. I can't understand where the long-term strategy is and, and how it is being implemented in any way at Microsoft right now. I just, I feel like it's just lost its way. And you look, the Switch is in the market now. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit about how it's doing, but it's doing real well. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, it's like Microsoft and Nintendo fighting for table scraps after Sony. They're scraps, right? It's hard to divide scraps in between two companies to make it so it'll work for both of them. So, <laughs> again, excited about the hardware. Mm-hmm. Not all that excited about the prospects of it doing exceptionally well. Um, not all excited about the prospects of me spending a lot of time playing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, my Xbox One has been broken now for two weeks, and I still haven't even bothered to send it in to get it fixed. I, I, I turned on the Xbox One for some reason a couple weeks ago. I think I was looking at the free games or something for, for gold. I don't... I, I just go I can't on the website. Last, I can't remember the last time I, I played anything on it. I just go in a web browser on their website and just grab all the games there. I gotta admit, the main reason I still have it is probably Rare Replay. Yeah. Because that doesn't work on Windows. I mean, look, I'm never going to get rid of it, but mm-hmm. I have no reason to play my Xbox One right now at all. None. There's no exclusives coming out for it yeah. at all. Like, what's the next exclusive for Xbox One? Probably Forza. Or, that's uh, at, like, the end of the year. Crackdown. That's at the end of the year. Yeah, I can't think of anything that's, like, you know, mainline this this year until, like, September, maybe? Right. Think about that. Yeah. That's insane. I mean, even Nintendo's doing better than that. Nintendo yeah. is notorious for not supplying enough first-party software I mean, I guess platforms. Phantom Dust, but that's a remaster. Right. But when is that coming out? Like, they just started working on it again. Well, they said before E3. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's shocking. I didn't see that part of the story. That was when they announced it was coming back. They said it'll be out before E3. I mean... I hope so. I love that game. Microsoft may have more riding on E3 2017 than almost any E3 it's ever been a part of, other than the very first one when it introduced the first OG yeah. Xbox. I mean, I, I, this E3 for Microsoft really feels like uh, do or die. die time, or as, uh, as Charlie Brown would say, Sydney or the Bush. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not... I don't know what that means. I assume, <laughs> I assume it's some kind of Australian pioneer thing. I mean, you talk to Pactor, and Pactor will say, they're doing fine, they're doing great, you know, even though PlayStation 4, you know, it's basically breaking records and whatnot with the sales... And so, you know, he says it's a false equivalency that you're saying, oh, you know, they're getting destroyed two to one by Sony, but that one is still pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. And I guess and Nintendo would argue, hey, if we had those kind of sales for the Wii U, we probably wouldn't have killed it in two and a half or three years. So a lot of it is putting in things into perspective, but ultimately where you make your money is from selling software. And if there's no software to sell, you can't make any money. And, and I know the profit margin on Scorpio is going to be minuscule yeah. if there's any yeah, it like, may I mean, even I mean, lose money five, yeah 500 is probably what you sell it to break break more or less even but i wonder if they'll eat it and just make it 400 uh to get That'd it be great homes. that would be so um, awesome for us that feel well that feels like it would be more of a i mean i think that's the maybe not the financially like sound play but i think it's the smarter play when you're down as far as they are yeah you know, like it's just, especially when your your main competition when it because mo, let's face it, it's going to be the second console for most people, and you're looking at a three hundred dollar Switch with a Zelda game, and and a Mario game probably versus a Microsoft console that's going to be at least a hundred bucks more with, hmm? yeah, 
I know. Crackdown 3 and Forza? And again, I've said it before, I've never been a fan of Crackdown. So one last point I want to discuss is Microsoft made a point to say this is going to be for the enthusiast, the elitist, the coolest of the core gamers. And look, this has been said about a lot of things, about games, about controllers now, because they have mm. these elite controllers. Is that a smart move ever to say that your product is, one, to say it's targeted towards any specific mm-hmm. person or group, but two, to say that it's targeted to a very small group or niche? Well, I think that's basically setting up the investors and shareholders to, to prepare them for like, yeah, the sales on this are probably not going to be huge. And when they are not huge, we can say, well, we said it's for the enthusiasts. And eventually the price will come down and the interest will will grow for the mainstream and they will eventually adopt it for the first year or so. We're just targeting the hardcore. And I think basically, I I mean, I don't don't know if if anyone's going to buy that as, as an explanation, but I think that is kind of, it's preemptive damage control for the shareholders. But don't you think that's usually ulti- what that is? But do you think ultimately though it will convince people to not purchase the console? Because a lot of people look at it like I'm not the hardest of the hardcore. No, nah, see, I don't think if you are not the hardest of the hardcore, you don't even know they said that. Because we're the only ones that follow this shit. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. <laughs> you're like, yeah, if you're if you're a casual gamer, you don't even know that Microsoft announced this yet. Yeah. So they'll never hear it. How do you think the PC ties into this, Matt? We're seeing obviously Xbox Play Anywhere right now. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a program that allows you to play any Xbox exclusive on your PC. Matt, do you see maybe the Xbox One kind of being this shuttle PC that maybe people get who don't want to spend the $1,500 or the $600 on a video card to get the 4K experience? I mean, assuming the performance is comparable to what we're seeing with that Forza demo, like overall, like I think that's a very financially sound option. I mean, uh, especially if they start to tie it in with Oculus more. Um, and people are interested in VR, like it's, it seems to be the, the budget choice that doesn't give you a, a lesser experience to a, lot, to a large degree. And most people are not using PCs to surf the internet anymore. Um, people are using their phones to do that phones now. Phones or tablets or a laptop that's separate from a PC. So if people are looking for a gaming PC, this might be yeah. a great alternative. And not only that, you can hook it up in your living room with no problems. Um, do you see maybe series or franchises that have traditionally been cordoned off to the PC maybe making the jump and being available for Scorpio? I don't know what Because that, that be. to me, is a content pipeline that could potentially open for Microsoft. I don't know what, what those would be. A game really. like League of Legends oh, or, no. or no. RTS games, no. no? No. How come? They're too reliant on mouse and keyboard. But you can get a mouse and keyboard for... Yeah, it doesn't matter. There's too much of a buy-in for someone that isn't interested in those games. But, I'm, but my point... And, like, the, people who are already into those games are already playing them on PC and will not abandon the PC. I guarantee you. But I, I led into this by saying, couldn't the Xbox Scorpio be a shuttle PC that people would buy instead of a PC? Yeah, it would be a console that functions as one to some degree, but I, you're not going to be looking at people using mice and keyboard on them in any great numbers, I don't think. I, I mean, I, th- I think there will. will uh, I, I mean, mean, if you get 4K 60, spending 500 bucks. I just don't. I don't like. You're not going to put League of Legends on that, though. It's why, just, though? Why? It's to a, make money. To get more customers. So you have more people buying stupid hats and skins and all that other stuff. I just stuff. don't think Riot has any interest in, in that market. 
like because you, you're dealing, you have to split the market between people using a control. It has to be playable with a controller. To some right. Degree. So you just create some sloppy controller setup that you know no one's going to use. Yeah, but, but it, that's what everyone's going to use. I think you're drastically overestimating the number of people that buy a heart, uh, uh, keyboard and mouse for a but console. See, you're missing my point. My point isn't that I think people who have traditionally played consoles will start playing League of Legends on their Xbox Scorpio. I think that people who maybe are like, my PC's out of date, I don't want to spend five or six hundred bucks on a video card when I can get the whole frickin' shebang for five hundred bucks. Yeah, but like League of Legends runs on a toaster. So it does, it yeah. Doesn't, like, no one would want to upgrade to play League of Legends, I don't think. That was like, just one example I gave. But you started right, talking about all the, the RTS games like Dawn of War 3 and things like that. I just don't Quake see Champions. Happen. I mean, they've tried that, and the console market just isn't interested, and this will still be seen as a console one way or the other. Also, I really don't think there's enough people who are interested in Dawn of War 3 to matter in that regard. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned Dawn of War 3. I'm, I'm supposed, I should be playing the closed beta right now, in right. fact. But, um, but my point is, is that if PC players, a traditional PC player, know or see that all these franchises that they're big, hardcore PC players for, other than just the graphical fidelity are going to be available on Scorpio for $500, you don't think it might make think of some of them think twice? Uh, it wouldn't make me think, think twice. So I, and well, money's, I, and I'm, I'm not, money's even, not an issue for you. So. Sort of, but it's also like just... I prefer, you know, at the desk with them, keep my you know, mouse. You know, there are games that, to me that are PC games, and I don't Sure, sure, but just imagine instead of your things. tower sitting down there... It's just the Scorpio sitting there, and you have all the same cables running out of it. Your mouse and keyboard are there. I just think the you know, but I don't have Steam, and I don't have the ability to mod stuff by default. I don't have That's the ability point. to go no in and tweak, and tweak really settings. Yeah. I don't have the ability to, you know, control the experience the way I do with well, a, we don't with know a that yet, PC. Though, do we? I'm pretty sure we will not have to go in and figure out which Windows compatibility tab to run something under. Is yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, but I think we have the ability to maybe set resolutions. Yeah, set resolutions, but I'm talking turn about... Turn certain uh, graphical features uh, yeah, on Yeah, but off. I'm talking about digging into the INI file and like tweaking stuff that way and making it run the way I want. Turn, turn off like chromatic aberration if I don't like it, that kind of thing. But I do you don't think, think most that's PC be gamers do that? I mean, I know the, the hardcore PC gamers do. They all do. But do you think most people who play PC games like... Because here's the thing. I, so I you're talking about pe- like think, League of Legends. I don't think there's a whole lot of casual PC game players outside of, you know, if you want to call them that, the people who only play one game. Right. Right? Like, like the Dota players or the League of Legends players. Like, I'm sure they are not tweaking the settings for League of Legends every time they go in there. You know, they don't right. care about that. They just want to yeah. play League of Legends. Right. But again, like I said before about being dug in, like, I don't think you're going to see people making the... You know, if they're playing fine on the PC, I don't know why they'd want to jump to a different thing, especially if, like, the only advantage would be, like, oh, Lego Legends is going to look slightly prettier. Well, the like, advantage is that you also get all the software that's coming to Scorpio with it that you normally wouldn't have access to. But you do have access to it because it's all on Windows. Well, not all third-party games come to window, though, Windows, though. I, think, I can't think of a whole lot of... Uh, Xbox One releases that aren't also on Windows. Well, that is a part of a program that they're trying to right. encourage and engender, which helps. But I think, though, you, you kind of struck a hot iron right there, though, when you said, like, Dota 2, League of Legends, because those are the people who may be like, my PC is a piece of crap, it barely runs League, it barely runs Dota. If I can get a box for 500 bucks that's going to run League at, like, 500 frames a second or whatever... And I also now have access to this whole software library, not just the Xbox Scorpio or Xbox One library, but also Xbox 360 library. I I think there might be something there. I'm just trying to figure out a way for Microsoft to turn around its software problem. I just just think for that to happen first, like Riot or Valve has to put League of Legends or Dota on 
the Xbox Scorpio, and I just don't see that happening. I don't think that I don't think they would perceive that market to be worth the effort. Basically. But if Microsoft incentivizes that with money, I don't know how you could possibly throw enough money at Riot to make it worth. Their or while. Valve, really, for that yeah. matter. Oh, Valve would never. Be, Valve, I'm sure, considers themselves a separate marketplace. Like, it doesn't do them any good to put anything on. I don't know though. If you completely subsidize the development of that game, you go to Riot and you say, "How much for you to create a Scorpio version of League of Legends?" And they say, "Hundred million dollars." And Microsoft is like, "Done." You don't think Riot would go for that? Because you're, Maybe. they're getting a whole new audience for free. I mean, sort of, but like the other thing about Riot is their corporate DNA is very much about not working for anyone else, yeah. and I feel like they just wouldn't take that contract, no matter how much money you throw at them. They want because once you pay for that, Microsoft can start like exerting some control of, oh, well, we paid you 100 million to make this, so you want, we want you to make it like this, and Riot would never go for that. It's free revenue, though. They don't need any more revenue. They do. Every company wants to make more money. Yeah, but money. Riot is Every, like, No I, matter how much money sure, a company but, makes, but what I'm saying wants is Riot wants to make that revenue on their own terms, not answering to a major corp- corporate conglomerate. I don't think they'd take that contract from Microsoft. Uh, but, you know, you can write into the contract provisions and how the relationship's going to work going forward. No, my contact with Riot has just told me that, like, they would not be at all interested in that. They'd just be like, we are ourselves, and we make this game, and we do what we want, and we have tons of weird R&D things in production that may never even see the light of day, and we're just going to make what we make. Yeah. Like, I just, I just don't think they have any interest in, in partnering with one of the big guys like that. To or they me, would have by now. To me, this is something, some, this, something like this is going to need to happen, though, for Microsoft well, I mean, to... people keep trying. I mean, it's like, it's like uh, what was it, Paragon? Again, I mean, people keep trying to make something like that happen on a console, and like maybe they'll try it again on this. I don't know. I, I, I just don't know if that kind of player even owns or has interest in owning the console. I'm not talking specifically about MOBAs. I'm mm-hmm. just saying Microsoft has to find a way to improve the stream of content coming to its platforms. I just don't think trying to dig out the, the, the attached tick that is the PC gamer is really the, uh, the way to go. I don't think you're going to pull too many people away from that platform that way. Because they're just, it's, you know, also because I feel like, you know, PC gamers have already kind of seen how the Steam box went over like a lead balloon. Yeah. And that's just going to remind them of that. You know, you that know? was a disaster. That was so yeah, mishandled was. by every company that tried. Oh, to... absolutely. But like, it's you know, it's too much. That kind of you know, I think the skepticism of the little box that's an affordable gaming PC is kind of ingrained in the head now to some degree. And maybe Scorpio can like overcome that if it if it has a good track record over the next couple of years. But I feel like that's way in the distance uh, if it ever happens at all. For now, I think they're just going to try to get. You know the standard console owner to say like, "Hey, this is what you want." Instead of that, the little portable thing, you want this giant beast of a rig that can run Call of Duty way better than that PS Pro you already wasted money on. What? Uh, so based upon what we know, how do you think Scorpio is going to do? Uh, like, and look, look, this could change. It obviously at E3 with right. all the announcements, but based upon what we know now, how do you think it's going to do? Like units kind of thing. Yeah, or, I mean, or just, is it going to sell well? Is it going to tank? I think it's going to sell okay, but it's going to get out, outpaced tremendously by the PlayStation 4, and I think the Switch, if Nintendo can produce enough to meet demand, I think the Switch will outsell a Scorpio easily. Yeah, especially um, if Mario comes out around frankly, the same time. Yeah, well, because, you know, as we've said, like the, the 12 million people who will buy anything with a Nintendo logo on it are not done. Oh, yeah. Like... They don't. Everyone's still waiting to get that whole in. audience that desperately wants an, the, the next Nintendo console or, or intends to buy the next Nintendo console when the Mario when Mario comes out. Um, they don't all have a Switch yet. Yeah, there's still ten million so, of them. Yeah, so they 
they're still in process. Like, like the Switch will automatically sell out for quite some time until all those people have the system they want. Yeah. And then it might even go beyond that if it catches on beyond that audience. We don't know about that yet. But I feel like just the, the novelty of it is going to drive more interest than more powerful Xbox. What do you think will sell better this holiday season? PlayStation 4 Pro or Scorpio? Pro. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless, again, unless Microsoft un- like unleashes some new IP or some new thing that we just don't have any conception of right now, or unless, like, Sea of Thieves becomes the biggest hit of, like, is that still coming out? It is, yeah. Thing? I hope so. Is that, I, <laughs> better. I mean, I see, like, the videos and stuff go up. I'm honestly like, starting to get really nervous about it. because <laughs> Because the... You know, they've really pulled back the curtain on that game. Like, they basically mm-hmm. are filming a reality show about that at Rare <laughs> at this point. Like, that's how much media they put out for it with all this behind-the-scenes stuff. And they just recently put out a developer doc about combat. And when, when they showed the combat, they didn't show it in the game. They showed it on a dev station. Mm. And I saw that, and I was like, no! Because if I lose that game, obviously our fantasy thing's completely right. done. Like, I, even if it comes out this year, I probably still don't have a chance. But if it didn't come out, I'm done. And I saw that, and I was like, are you kidding me? You're doing a developer doc about combat, and you're showing some dude at a dev station instead of showing it in the game? <laughs> it, that's not good. And I should have known. Rare's notorious for delaying things. I mean, they used to be worse than anyone back in, like, the N64 era. It yep. would delay stuff over and over. Years. Years. I, sh- I should have known. But, yeah, I'm not even convinced that game's coming out this year. But if it does, you're right. It could end up being one of those games that, like, people it, catch on and they're like, Ooh, what's this mm. Sea of Thieves thing? Like, it's diff- it is different. That's the one thing I'll say about yeah. it. And so it does kind of have that opportunity to be... And different doesn't so, always you mean, know, great, mean but, great, but sometimes different hits. Sometimes different gets that... Facebook yeah. thing going, that social media thing going, where people are like, hey, I'm playing this game, I'm having a blast. And Microsoft has been smart about marketing it by showing people playing it and having fun playing mm-hmm. it, which, uh, and at E3, when I saw people play it, everyone was just smiling and laughing the whole time. So yeah, it was, That was the one game I couldn't get into the demo for, because it was so packed. Yeah, and that was one of the things that convinced me to draft it, is seeing the, re- the response of people playing it. Just To me, is that's just empirical evidence of, okay, this game, at least this concept, seems to be successful. Whether is there any hint is like, release window for that? No. I mean, they just say this year. Yeah. And they need it. They so, do. I'm praying. <laughs> but we'll see. But I hope, like, I mean, I have, you know, the, I, to me, the nightmare scenario there is that Sea of Thieves is what they bet the Scorpio on. Right. That, like, they're like, oh, they do a big blow to Sea of Thieves, like, this is our big premiere launch title for the Scorpio. Right. Because I don't, I don't think that's going to be enough. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and to answer the question I asked you, I, uh, it's hard to be too optimistic about Scorpio mm. with all the things that we've discussed uh, on this topic so far. It, and it always comes down to the software. That's yeah. it's just it's a mantra for a reason. It's all about the games, and Microsoft doesn't have the games. And unless just, it yeah, does, just something, barring the barring a release lineup, we are not predicting. Um, it really feels like they're asking for a large amount of money for a lot of faith for. What, like a couple games, yeah. you're like, wow, that looks great. I'm done with it now. Like you're going to be at the point where it's like, oh, well, more. It's going to be great. Next year. I'm like, okay, well, I'll see you next year then. Yeah. Because you know? even same with kind of with the Switch where it's like, okay, well, Zelda, 
and it's like, I'll see you this fall when Mario's out and there's more stuff out. You can play stuff. Like, I feel like the Scorpio might end up in that same place if they don't have some killer stuff that we just don't know about yet. I think, look, I think it will sell okay over the holidays, yeah. pretty much regardless of software, because the holidays are that time, and even for me, where you ask for like that one big thing. Like you look at all the people that give you mm-hmm. gifts and you say, What's the best thing I can convince this group of people to get me? And you ask for it. Yeah. And so even if some people may look at it like, oh, well, there's not that many games available for it. I'm confident there eventually will be, and I want to be able to play Mm -hmm. those. They'll ask for it at the holidays. So I wouldn't even take the Q4 sales for Scorpio as much of an indicator of its long-term success because a lot of people are just going to get it early because that's when they can get it, and they're not going to be able to afford it on their own. I think what will be really telling is the first six months of 2018. That's when sort of the rubber will hit the road, and we'll know whether it's going to be a success or not. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the one the one advantage, or maybe ace in, the, ace in the hole it has, is the fact that you know that no matter what happens, the third parties are going to support Microsoft. Yeah. So at the very least, you're going to have some really nice-looking versions of multi-platform games. The best-looking versions. For sure. Yeah. Because, um, you know, it's, it's assuming, you know, the, the hardware does seem to back it up. We'll see what, you know, the reality is when this, it looks like you're going to have some real, real honest-to-God 4K. So, and not like the, the checkerboard stuff that the pro right. is doing. Yeah. Um, and they're saying that uh, Digital Foundry's article also said that, like, uh, that they want to put in a rule that like you can you can pick the settings for all the games no matter what they do. So like if it, you know I have a 1080p, but I can still choose it right. choose to have it be you know downsampled from 4K, and that's going to make it look amazing. It'll look better. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the other part of it too is that all these 1080p games are going to run. <laughs> Like yeah, greased lightning. It's gonna be amazing. I mean, they are gonna run like a beast. Like there's like, gonna be no. I mean, I'm not drops. interested. I was, you know, it's not really on my list, the, the Scorpio. But I gotta say, if it comes out or we see it, and, and it does have like a really like marked concrete effect on backwards compatible 360 games, like if it changes the game for those, I might think about it because yeah. I have a giant 360 library yeah, that is too. more and more supported by the backwards compatibility on that thing. Now, every time I would boot up my Xbox One, I'd see another yeah. few games like added to my Xbox One if I wanted to download yeah. them or whatever so from that, my 360. You know, even if they have like a mediocre exclusive lineup, that plus like the, the old Xbox One games running better, plus backwards compatible 360 stuff being the best way to play those games now because there are some 360 exclusives I still love very much, um, that could get my attention. Maybe not for 500 bucks, but maybe down the road, you know? All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about Agents of Mayhem. Uh, They just released a brand new trailer for the game this week. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some outlets did some hands-on previews with the game. All of them seem pretty encouraging. Yeah. Um, The first trailer we got was really kind of hard to figure out what the game was about, and they didn't exactly put out a ton of information for it either. Uh, Obviously a Volition game, Deep Silver's publishing it. Deep Silver needs a hit, by the way. Yeah. It just needs a release, by the way. Anything. Yeah. First trailer, it just kind of looked like this bromy third-person team-based shooter. This new trailer and the coverage that came out this week, it really is just starting to look like Saints Row 5. It's looking like Saints Row plus, um, I mean, obviously it's in the same universe, because Ultor and all right. that. Um, the other thing about it is, like, it really feels like it wants to be a co-op game, but I don't think it is, really. It, it, it's, uh, it's more, it looks like it's going to be more of like an action-y kind of Saints Row spiritual yeah. successor. Uh-huh. Um, but it does sort of have that whole character thing yeah. that's the hot shit now. Yeah. It has 12 different characters that you unlock as you play. And, and there's a big superhero thing. I mean, even like the pre-order bonus, I think, is like basically 
like unofficial Marvel superhero costumes for all the characters. There's like yeah. an Iron Man one and a Captain America one and all that. Um, I mean, I like what Volition does. I like their sense of humor on these games for the most part. Um, I will, I'll play it. Like, I'm interested. Um, I still don't feel like we quite know what it is, but uh, that's okay. I, I trust yeah, Even guys. the hands-on previews where they had actually played the game were kind of... They're oddly vague. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. are vague. That's a good way to describe it. Like, I was like, wait, you played it for a couple hours, and like the video preview IGN did was like two minutes long. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's all you got out of playing this game for a couple hours? And look, if it is indeed like Saints Row, which is open world and, you know... Just tons of stuff that you can do, and just go, you can go out and have fun. It's one of those types of games. Okay, I get it. Playing a couple hours of that, you probably can't get that much out of it to write mm-hmm. a bigger preview. But I was kind of shocked at the lack of information that uh, a lot of the coverage had. But the, what I really want to talk about regarding this game, and I'm excited for it, by the way, I should say. I, I think it looks fun. I think it looks cool. I, I like Saints Row. What I want to talk about, though, is shouldn't it just be called Saints Row 5? I don't know. Like, I mean, Saints Row is so closely identified with the Saints that if they're not focusing on that, like, I can understand. I mean, arguably, maybe they should have called it Saints Row Agents of Mayhem. Right. And had the Saints make an appearance or something or be related. Because in the Saints... Just write them in. Didn't the Saints take over Ultor at some point? Yeah. So, like, theoretically, you're kind of working for the Saints, like, in a distant way. Yeah. Um, Although, again, I don't know what the story... Because in Saints Row 4, they destroyed the Earth. So right. I'm not sure where this <laughs> takes place in the, in, in, the, in the Saints Row canon. Right. <laughs> canon. Um, <laughs> Good one. But uh, I don't know. I mean, to some degree, I guess I don't care. Because it's like, I like their games. I like the, you know, the craziness over the top stuff. My favorite game in the series is Saints Row 4. Yeah. I just played Saints Row 4 again uh, this year, uh, earlier this year. and Or maybe it was December. But like... When it was like not much, I think when the year was over and like we'd done the last show, and I was like, "Oh, I can play whatever. I'll play Saints Row Four. Why yeah. not?" And it, I still love it. I still think it's a it's a blast. And like this looks like that, but taken up to the next level again. Uh, I was hoping for the next game to either be like even crazier, or I've always said I wanted them to reboot back to like the GTA kind of ripoff that it started as. Right. Except everyone in the game remembers that they were superheroes and like had all this crazy power and they're all annoyed that they're just like a crime open world game now and by the end of it like they start slowly breaking the rules and by the end it's just all ridiculous people throwing fireballs and shit and like that would be kind of how you'd reboot the saints row games um because it's you got to do or they just start because i think the implication at the end of saints row 4 is they get a time machine so they can go do whatever the hell they want right um so i wonder if that's tied into this I mean, the reason I brought that up, it wasn't because, for me personally, I lacked interest in it because it wasn't called Saints Row. I was talking more from a financial perspective. Maybe. Well, I don't, I, mean, know if I, was, I don't know how much cachet Saints Row has. My problem with it is that I think Agents of Mayhem is a really boring title. It is. It's very generic. And look, Saints Row sells two million copies mm-hmm. by the time it's all said and done, which is not bad, but not amazing. No. And when you launch new IP... You have to have really deep pockets to make it a success. What was that generic third-person shooter that Insomniac put out? Fuse. Fuse. What was originally... Because uh, it, it totally changed right. art style and, it did, and yeah. tone. Because originally it was kind of a, almost an Overwatchy yep. sort of... Overwatch reminded me of that, the original They version. made the wrong decision on uh, that one. <laughs> called like Overstrike? Maybe. It yeah, called? it was. It yeah, was called Overstrike. Overstrike. Overwatch, I'm like, oh, they just took all the Overwatch stuff. And did that. <laughs> That's funny. Um, 
but and then like dude, that game tanked though. Oh, terrible! Because it was like this super like bro broy weird thing. Like you couldn't even it, it didn't differentiate itself from anything. And this, I don't feel like this necessarily does either. Insomniac, bigger developer than Volition. Can we agree to that? I would, yeah, I would. Bigger think so. fan base yeah. for its games than Volition. I think, I think certainly a more uh, varied and solid pedigree. Yeah, and it couldn't make. A very similar game work as a new IP. And so I'm looking at this game and it's, again, I'm excited for it. I don't really care what it's called. But as far as getting interest from mm -hmm. the consumer who is going to turn it in from 800,000 in sales to 2, 3, 4 million in sales, I just don't know if Deep Silver has the bank account to make that happen. Just... I don't know. I think it's a missed opportunity. Um, Saints Row, by the way, unlike a lot of franchises, has sold more and more with every release. It's not one of these franchises that peaked with the first one and then the sales slowly dwindled off. It has been building all this time. So this could have, to me, I think if this had the Saints Row name on it, one, I guarantee you would be getting a lot more interest on Sifted than it is right now because it is not tracking especially well. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's... The only hint that it's connected to Saints Row is all the purple. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in the, the universe and all. And yeah, but that's hard to see from just, like, you know, one little screenshot. Right. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to look at purple and be like, oh, Saints Row. Like, yeah. And most people aren't even going to realize that Volition is the developer that made Saints Row in the first mm -hmm. place. The average consumer doesn't even understand I mean, that. This, so. game, this game does have two things that Fuse did not have, and that is the A-Team theme and the <laughs> Knight Rider theme. <laughs> Both in the like, same yeah. trailer. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, like, look, if that's what you do to catch people's attention, fine. Like, you Because know, I feel like you could run that as a commercial on TV and get the attention of people that don't know what the hell Saints Row is or what the hell this is. Because it looks weird enough, and it looks like you know you, you cash in on that '80s nostalgia, and you're gonna get some you're, you're gonna get some eyeballs one way or the other. This you goes better, back to you just better deliver. This goes back to, to Deep Silver though, and Deep Silver ironically does not have deep pockets. And so, how much marketing exactly is this game gonna get? And if That's it doesn't have a recognizable name attached to it, Knight Rider or not? Well, you don't I always just... need a recognizable name if you if you've got something that catches somebody's interest like off the bat. I mean, look at the Horizon did very well. Um, but that's what I'm saying. Sony marketed the right. living crap out of that game. Well, I, would argue I could that, not watch TV for more than 10 minutes without seeing a Horizon. Well, I would argue that Deep Silver either needs to do that or prepare to shut down. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the last hurrah. I mean, especially since they lost Dead Rising 2. Um, or, no, Dead Island 2. Yeah. Uh... Which, again, like, I feel like that was supposed to be a major 2016 release for them, and it just never happened. Although, it may never happen. Although, I don't think it ever will happen. But, but although, um, given uh, 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 2016's uh, sales, it may not have mattered. You're right. Anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They just bombed anyway. Maybe they just dodged a bullet. Could have been. Because <laughs> otherwise they'd have spent all the extra money to finish the game. And then still not sold any anyway. Yeah. At least and I got like, out early. And I, you know, they're the ones that have the most writing on this, I think, because I feel if like Deep Silver disappeared, Volition would find somewhere oh, else yeah. to, to take the Saints Row games. I and mean, all look, that. there's no denying the quality of its yeah. games. Its games are quality. They're good games, and you know, obviously, any there are a lot of publishers out there that would kill to have a developer with its skill level working on games for it. So mm -hmm. yeah, Volition, no problem at all. I mean, they're probably already getting completely funded for this. By Deep Silver. Um, there's no skin off their back. Of course, they'd like those uh, those royalties for sales. If it sells well, no one's going to deny that. But they're okay. They're getting paid to develop the game by a publisher. 
If it doesn't sell, disappointed, you know, one of those projects you put your heart and soul into and it didn't do as well as you hoped, that's hard to take. But ultimately, financially, they should be fine. Mm -hmm. They'll have another project to work on probably within a month after the game launches. But Or maybe they already have one. Who knows? I just think it's uh, a poor move among several poor moves by Deep Silver, in all honesty, over the last few years. It's like you said, like it's kind of teetering on the brink right now with this game. Um, and it hasn't exactly done a good job promoting it. Like, I don't know if you remember, the first trailer was, like, exclusive to IGN, which, look, mm-hmm. IGN's a huge outlet, and, you know, it's it reaches a lot of people. But, man, when you're debuting a new IP, you really want to send that sucker out wide. Yeah, well, I, th- I think, you know, we haven't seen the real push yet, and, you know, it's, it's outside the enthusiast audience that really makes something a big hit, and that's what they need. So I think we're going to, you know, we'll start to see what comes through the back end uh, in the ensuing months. This is, is, is what, August? Yeah. I mean, um, it's not that far not away. Not far away. <laughs> so we're going to have to, like, wait and see kind of what their advertising campaign becomes from a mainstream television perspective. You know, billboards, buses, the whole, I mean, you got to get this thing in people's heads um, that aren't us. Like, you know, yeah. we're going to know about it one way or the other. But, like, it's going to be interesting to see if Deep Silver has, yeah, like you say, the pockets and also the foresight to know that that's what they have to do. Right. Like, Which is something they should be on now. And it's like, you got, and also, like, you got to sell this thing fast. Yeah. Because the, the fall lineup starts to hit the week, at, you know, you're, you're in Destiny 2 territory two weeks later. I will say one thing, there's, the release date's smart if it doesn't yes. slip. Yes. I mean, Deep Silver has managed that right. Um, it need it does need to come out well before the Q4 mm-hmm. rush. But you're right. Once Destiny comes out, who's going to care about this game? Yeah. So. I might. Yeah. <laughs> I like, mean, we will. But I'm just not, saying that yeah. Destiny 2 is going to take a lot of money out right. of the pool. But this is a great, I think this is a great, like, first first release of the, of the you know, you always have those August releases. They're sort of the, the trickle through the dam. Because the summer sucks. Blow. Yeah. And, like, you're, like, <laughs> and you're, you're sort of like, oh, thank God. Like, the first drink of water after yeah. the, the drought of the summer. And, like, I always love that August game. And uh, this feels like a, like it'd be a pretty good August game in that regard. So maybe that'll help. We'll see. Uh, not much time for Deep Silver to kind of get it together and figure it out. Uh, I wouldn't even be against, like... I got four months. Yeah. I mean, I would even be... If, they, if like, next week they put out a press release and said the game is now called Saints Row, colon, mm. I would not be surprised at all. And I would think it would be a smart move, even if it's only tangentially tied into that franchise. Um, that's just me. It's hard to launch a new IP. If it's of, even harder to have a successful new IP. If Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was more popular, I think they would have called it Agents of Saints. Right. Like and they would have figured out something that Saint stands for. Right, right, yeah. But uh, we'll see. The game looks promising to me. Uh, I'm excited to check it out. I'm excited to learn more. Uh, I'm just a little concerned about how it's going to do financially. Yeah, I'm not really worried about me enjoying it, but I feel like it may not be the hit they needed to be, especially after the problems they had with Dead Dead Island 2, not Rising. Don't fault yourself for confusing games with dead in the title. Like, when we're going to the admin sometimes, and you're looking for a game (laughs) to maybe update a release date or whatever, and you just type in one where it's like a one keyword will bring up all... If you type in dead... Dude. (laughs) And our site's only been around for two and a half years at this point, and there's already that many games with the word dead in them that we've uh, added to the site. So, no shame in that game. Let's move on. We're going to talk about Bulletstorm, full clip edition. A um, couple of different things we want to talk about here. One, well, we want to talk about the game. But before that, we're going to talk about the controversy that's happening right now with G2A mm. and Gearbox. And actually, we want to talk about Gearbox. Because 
To me, Gearbox seems like a freaking hot mess. <laughs> it cannot get it together. It just keeps doing dumb thing after dumb thing after dumb thing. Signing Duke Nukem forever. Dumb. The whole aliens thing. Dumb. The way it's dealt with its community. Dumb. Some of the social stuff that they've been confronted with and how they've handled it. Dumb. Um, Bloodborne. Or is that it? Blood? No, not Bloodborne. It's not Bloodborne. What's the other one? Battleborn. <laughs> Battleborn, yeah. All these names are just starting to get mixed yeah. together. Battleborn. Deadborn. I don't know Stillborn. if I would call Battleborn dumb, but I, I, misguided maybe is a better way to put it. Maybe not dumb, but uh, just... And there's a little bit of positioning to take on Overwatch. Like, you, know, you don't take on Blizzard if you don't have to. anything, yeah. It's, he's just, just a fool's yeah. errand, pretty much. Um, I mean, they're very accurately named. Yeah. You're so, going to die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so here's another one. Another thing that I would call dumb is that Gearbox signs an exclusive deal with G2A, which for those of you who don't know, G2A is a key reseller. So say you, ha you bought a game, you have the key for it to download it, you decided you don't want it, and you want to sell it, you can go to G2A. It's like eBay for game codes, essentially. Mm -hmm. But they also work with publishers and developers to get their games on there, to buy the keys on there as well. So... The exclusive edition, the special edition, or whatever, is exclusively available on G2A. Which and is weird, because G2A's had some shady issues before that. Well, that's the problem. So, what happens is, Gearbox announces this, and the fans... I guess there are fans of Bulletstorm. <laughs> some, yeah, there are. Some. Oh, I know, I know several very hardcore fans of Bullet. I am not one of them. Yeah, well, we'll talk about it. For people who love that game. Yeah, we'll talk about it. But um, so fans, and I believe Total Biscuit came out and said, if you do this, I will never play a Gearbox yeah. game again, which is just childish. Like, love Total Biscuit. That's totally childish to say something like that as a journalist. And he was kind of the, he was one of the first YouTubers who was kind of... Uh, banging his head against the traditional journalism wall. Like, he would always put up editorials complaining about how he was treated differently than regular journalistic outlets and how he was just as much a journalist as everybody else and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. There's not a lot of ultimatums in journalism. Yeah. Really. But he delivered one and yeah. said, you know, I will... And that's a big deal. Look, if you're a, per, a, a developer or publisher who makes PC games, Total Biscuit is a big deal. He literally... He is an influencer. What mm -hmm. he says about a game will actually translate into sales... Or lack thereof. And not to put too fine a point on it, but Gearbox can't really be choosers at this point. No, like, There's it, it a lot of skepticism, be. to put it mildly, around that company in terms of the enthusiast gaming world. For sure. And uh, so once Total Biscuit says this, then Gearbox goes to G2A and says, Hey, hmm. here's a list of conditions that we want you to meet before we decide to go through with this deal that we already signed with you. And we've put out press releases about... Blah, blah, blah. How insane is that? The Gearbox, after all the stuff that it's gone through, done, all the backlash that it's had to endure, it would not do its due diligence before signing a big deal like this. Isn't that insane? Yeah, but I I mean, look, it's kind of the retail equivalent to what happened with Colonial Marines, when you think about it. It's just like, yeah, maybe it wasn't a good idea to farm out all that stuff or whatever they were doing with it that ended up, you know... it. it I don't know what's happening at Gearbox. I, I, I like a lot of the stuff they make that isn't 
the bad things. Like I like the Borderlands games. Yeah. Um, I like Randy. Uh, you know, on a person-to-person level, but like. Um, I don't know what's happening over there anymore. And I can't understand either, because like you, I like Randy. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people hate him, but I think if you actually ever met him in person, you would probably forget about a lot of the stuff that you hate him for and mm-hmm. realize he's actually a, a nice guy. Very nice, a lot of fun. He is. He's great to hang out with. He's very candid. That's yeah. what I love about him, too. It's like, you talk to a lot of developers and they're like, let's not talk about games. Like Some of them will literally say at the beginning, I don't want to talk about games. And inevitably, you end up talking about games yeah. anyway. But Randy's not like that. He's just like, hey, oh, like yeah, I don't talk about anything. Saw my packs one time. He once ma- he once made the mistake of telling me that they had come up with a new telemetry tool for Borderlands Two, and I spent like twenty minutes asking him about various stats, and he knew all of them yeah, off yeah. the top of his head. Like he knew every single thing of, of, like about it, and he was and he was he loves talking about. He's games. very open to the fans. I've seen him him at packs just sit there and talk to fans for literally like two or three yeah. hours straight, like one after another. But man, what is he thinking? He's not thinking. Not, I guess. Or maybe the people that he's hired to do this stuff for him are asleep at the wheel. Like I, something needs to change at mm. Gearbox. I think is what we're ultimately getting at. Whatever department, person, employee, whatever that is pulling the trigger on these decisions needs to be replaced. I think. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, is it Randy? <laughs> I figure like this kind of stuff is probably not, you know, president decision-making right. stuff. I feel... At the he very, should at, be delegating that. At most, stuff. it would be like people would come to him and say, here's the deal. We made this deal with these people. And he'd be like, all right, this looks great. But yeah. like, you know, he maybe he doesn't know. You know, he probably doesn't buy a lot of stuff gray market keys G2A. on the G2A. <laughs> you know, like, he may not know all that stuff. And maybe this is just like the only thing they could think of to kind of, you know, try to patch that wound outside of breaking a contract. I don't think you can really do that. It seems like the common element among all those things that we mentioned about Gearbox was that it just appears to be out of touch. Mm. Like, it's not following what's happening in the industry and the culture of Mm. games and what the average player is thinking and kind of how they're leaning on certain things. You know what Gearbox kind of reminds me of the last couple of years is, like, you ever play poker and, like, you, you get to a point where, like, you just start making dumb choices... Yeah. Like, because you think, oh, the next one's going to work. The next one's going to hit. I, the next card is going to be it. Yeah. And, like, you just can't quite rein yourself in and become realistic about it. I feel like they're, they've been doing that yeah. a little bit. Like, I, like, that's the kind of impression I get. Like, it's not, like, willful bad decision-making. It's just, like, sort of like a misguided optimism as to what they're doing is going to be a good thing. Yeah. And it just doesn't work out. Yeah, I don't know what's going on over there, but they need some kind of an organi- organizational, structural change... They need a system of checks and balances. They need to sit down they and make Borderlands 3. That, well, they're yeah. doing that already. They are doing that, but it's like, focus on the Borderlands. But they need, like, some kind of a liaison between them and the industry. Someone who has mm. their pulse on, has their finger on the pulse of what's going on. So that they know, like, hey, if we do this, we're going to get a lot of backlash. Like, it should have known that Total Biscuit was going to be pissed off about this. It should have known. It, it sh- there should have been someone there that said people like Total Biscuit are going to rail us over stuff like this. I just think the G2A thinks it's such a weird idea. Everybody knows that G2A is slimy, though. Right, but it's, even it's aside been from well that. documented. We've talked about G2A on this show like three times. Yeah, like, but, but even aside from that, like let's say it was like I don't know what's a reputable one, Green Man Gaming. Yeah, like 
why would you want to limit your collectors or whatever it is to like one site that like maybe somebody doesn't even have an account on and it's also like, like digital right yeah. I don't, you're not actually getting like a figurine or no, gun replica like, i don't know you got like probably like a digital art book and a soundtrack and, and a new costume e- for Duke extra Nukem. costumes yeah. or something yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know what's going on over there but they need to get straightened out i mean luckily for them they do have borderlands which is a total cash right. cow and also you're doing this with a remaster of a game that wasn't really that popular yeah. that you're charging full price for. Yeah. And let's actually, let's, that segues nicely. Let's start talking about Bulletstorm. So, you're not a fan. No. I'm surprised to hear that. What do you not like about it? I thought it was boring. Really? Like, I didn't, I just, because we had a, you know, our friend uh, Mike Dembski, who was a, a writer on X-Play, he loves this game. He, yeah. play, he He mastered this game. Like, thousand out of a thousand achievements. Like, like dude could, like, play this game like he was dancing. But, like, I just didn't care. And I don't quite know fully why. I played it for, like, three hours. And, like, I think the main thing for me was, like, it never felt like it ever forced you to get good at it, to progress. It just sort of, like, it gave you these tools to play with. And it was like, hey, if you want to, you can do these crazy combos. But if you want to play, like, a normal shooter, we're not going to penalize you for that. And I would have preferred it if it was, like, you got to learn how to manipulate this thing properly. And it just never felt like it did that, and I wasn't interested in the characters, or the, or the, I mean, the humor didn't really do it for me, although I did like the kill, I'll kill your dick yeah. line. <laughs> I mean, everybody likes that line. Yeah. Um, it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't my kind of thing. It was like, it was, it was kind of in that same boat with like those shooters that were less about sort of the, the uh, I guess, the, the world and the immersion and the progress as much as like, Kind of the the weird trick shots, you know, sort of like yeah. uh, not as not nearly as bad. I mean, I, I liked that. But, uh, it was called um, the club. Remember yeah. that? It was yeah, basically course, just like yeah. a shooting gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just stuff like that. Like doesn't interest me. Like it, it's it's like. See, I really like this game. Um, it's a toy, is what yes, it is. It's not sure. really a game. It's something that you fiddle around with. And the parts of the game that I liked the least were the parts where it tried to be a regular first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. And because it just wasn't up to scratch in that regard, and it wasn't designed that way, and I felt like they kind of took half steps. They're like, we have this crazy idea for a combo-based first-person shooter, but we don't want to scare off the Call of Duty people. Yeah, and, I guess that, that's that's accurate. Yeah, And I felt like it ended up with two halves that didn't equal a satisfying whole. But I still really enjoy playing this game. I don't know if you've seen the reviews for uh, Full Clip Edition, but it's getting good reviews, and mm. a lot of... Uh, a lot I guess of you're right. I think I think I just bounced off that in a way that you could didn't. Be. And the and like a lot of the editors who were reviewing the game weren't even journalists whenever it came mm-hmm. out there because it's been what six years. Yeah, a long it time. It came out in 2011, I think. Yeah, I think so. 2010, I think that's 2011. Right. Yeah, and uh, I think a lot of these people never played it the first time it came around, and that so a lot, a lot of these editors are like giving it like really good scores and. There are so many first-person shooters, and I find it ironic, and so many now indie first-person shooters, and it's ironic that, like, a pretty big studio ended up kind of creating one of the more innovative first-person shooters of the last decade instead of these smaller guys who can afford to kind of experiment Mm -hmm. with these ideas. Well, I always thought it did make sense this came out of the guys who made Painkiller. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... It's not a direct evolution, but like it, it has that that feel. Yeah, I, I for would, sure. The thing is, I would I'd be, I'd be willing to give it another shot. I would be interested in kind of playing it again, and see if I get it this time, but not for sixty bucks. Yeah, like I don't see. It, it feels like they're pricing out curiosity. Yeah, I think that. 
I think they're counting on what I was just talking about, though, is that a lot of people who are buying games now weren't mm. even, like, gamers back when it originally came out. And here we sit six years later, and it's still one of the more innovative first-person shooters on the market. I mean, that's an indictment on how stagnant the genre has become probably more than anything. But still, it's like, if you weren't a core gamer back when the first one came out and you see something like this game, it looks pretty interesting. Mm. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how it ultimately sells and if people get on board with it. But you know, for a six year old first person shooter to not seem old now is pretty impressive. I think that shows some foresight uh, for when the game originally came out, and ultimately, I think it probably deserved better than it did when it did come out. But again, that was in the height of the Call of Duty era. Mm. Uh, most people who bought well, yeah, it was like you say, part of the problem is if you just if you just look at it, like glance at it, it looks like every other game that was out there. Yeah. It's gray and brown and there's a gun in the foreground and yeah. there's like bald guys shooting at you. I mean, it's <laughs> like it, you know, it, it takes a little bit of 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 watching, it takes a little bit of explanation, it takes a little bit of hands-on to really see what makes it different. And maybe uh, maybe it's not so crowded in that world. I mean, this because this doesn't look like a lot of first-person shooters now. Yeah. Where, where like a lot of those, you're, you're basically looking at kind of the, the pseudo-future military stuff. Um, this actually, this oddly enough, looks more unique now than it did then. I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it was also kind of smothered back then as well. They're, I think they're putting it out at yeah. a good time right now. Um, but I think it deserves better than it got. I think if no one's, tr- if you haven't tried this game and you like first-person shooters and you're kind of wearing out on them and you're getting tired of them, I would, I would like you, I would wait mm. for a price drop. But Or maybe the better recommendation is just go buy the Xbox 360 <laughs> version. Yeah, there wasn't or, really anything wrong with it. It's not like no. the remaster solves a whole bunch of problems it, the first one. It, it doesn't nothing add wrong. any content. That's been the knock on this game on all the new reviews, is it's the same game in a higher resolution. Mm-hmm. So you're not missing or losing out on anything. If you And you could probably get an Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3 version for like 10 bucks or 5 bucks right now. So I guess that's what I would recommend. I would recommend that you go and you find a used copy of this, buy it on eBay. I don't know how much it's selling for digitally. They probably jacked up the price over the last couple of months because they knew this one was coming. But go on eBay, find a copy of it, try to buy it for like 5 or 10 bucks, and I guarantee you will come back in the comments of Game Face and say that is some of the best 5 or $10 I've spent on a game in a long time. So... Um, Give it a shot. It's worth it. Like Matt, I would not spend $60. The other part of it, too, is that it's multiplayer. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not what you're playing this for. You're no. playing it for the single-player campaign. So like you're, you're kind of playing it like, sort of like a platinum game, where it's like it's there. Like You want to see how much you can exploit and what you can yep. do with the combat system. Yep. And you can do a lot. You can do some crazy yeah. stuff. They've uh, been putting out like trailers every day, just showing off the basic moves. But they haven't really moved into doing the combos, where you can kind of combine like all mm-hmm. the crazy attacks together. So... It's one of those games you can fiddle around with, experiment with. Like I said, it's a toy that you kind of fiddle, you kind of fiddle with instead of uh, having these really hardcore experiences where you hunker down on the couch for 10 hours or whatever and, and go through it. So I recommend it. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed if you buy an older copy of it for 5 or 10 bucks. Let's move on. We're going to update things on Switch. We haven't done this topic for a couple weeks, I think, mm-hmm. um, where we just kind of do a general roundup of all the Switch news that, that had come out for the week. Um, I think the biggest story this week from Switch was that the tablets are warping. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, for some people, if you leave it in the dock for too long, it bows. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the some of the images I saw, it was... Mine, wow. mine is a little. Is it? Uh, be- well, because I played Zelda entirely, you know, 10 hours at a stretch a couple times uh, in the dock. 
and it's it's not like as bad as what you see like the pictures of. Yeah. But it's it's and it's not bent. It's sort of warped. It's got a it's bit sort of, of a twisted. Oh, it's got really? a little bit of a like one side is a little higher than the other. Really? Um and only if you like put it down and like put it down put the level on it I can tell. But it is not even anymore. Whoa. Um and again, I I've said it before. I don't think you agreed with me. This thing was supposed to be the 3DS successor and they clutched a console version into it. You think so? I think that's what it, this thing is not designed to do this. It was not to to do the the dock thing. The dock is is badly designed. It's it's the there's no heat distribution, so that's why this is happening. Basically, it's melting is what's well, happening. I mean, you think about it, one of the first things I talked about when we debuted it on Game Face was the heat. Yep. And I didn't even really think about it then. I just it was kind of something I noticed when I had been playing it during the first week I had it and I was like, "Oh, well, mm. You know, it's, well, part of the thing, it's just heat. Everything gets hot. My yeah. phone gets hot if I have it on my lap too But long. I think part of what's happening here is you've got the variation on, on how the, the docks are shaped, and people have some docks that push in more than others. Mine does not push in. It's pretty straight. But this, I think the, the docks that push in that are bent a little bit are putting pressure on the center of, of, the, of the switch, and it's bowing. Well, way. when it heats up, but, it becomes yeah, more malleable. And then right. it's more likely to bend. And the problem is once it cools off, it's it stays stuck that in that position. Right. Yeah, unless you heat it up and again, again bend it back. Further evidence that, like, if you wanted to do that dock thing, it should be it should have been done like the uh, the the charging thing for the Wii Wii U gamepad. Like, yeah. there's no reason for a front on that thing. Yeah, I don't get it either. Um, it's it's and that's why again I say I, I think the whole dock thing and hooking to a TV thing was added later when they realized the Wii U was just not going to cut it. And it feels like it wasn't fully thought through in a lot or of ways. Or fully tested, really, right. is what it appears. Yeah. I mean, how do those Joy-Con issues slip through? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the graphic says, coming in hot. And it's actually, that that will apply to a couple things we're going to talk about here regarding the Switch. But it applies to this as well. It came in hot. Like, it was, like, not really yeah. done, it appears. Clearly, they would prefer to launch this this fall. Yeah. But they had to make this fiscal. Yeah. So, um, how pro- maybe issue? because of Zelda more than... I mean, you might have just had to get Zelda out at some point. Now, the Joy-Con is one thing. That's something mm-hmm. Impactor talked about it on Pactor Factor, about how, you know, okay, let's say they recall every Joy-Con, every left Joy-Con. That's nothing. It costs them $10 to make it. There's $2 million of them out there. $10, 20000000 million. Drop in the bucket for Nintendo. But what happens if... This problem becomes prevalent for everyone mm-hmm. over time, and they have to recall all the tablets. To say nothing of the fact that there is currently no way to back your save up. Yeah. You'd have to trust Nintendo to transfer the data. Which they're saying when they send it they're back, they will. it's like, well, it, they say it's like 50-50. Mm. H- about half of them come back with no saves, the other half come back with the saves. So, that's disconcerting. Yeah, well, I ain't sending them a 100-hour Zelda save, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a big risk to take. But it's like that is a base the problem with the basic function of the system, which is you gotta wonder like, how do you fix that? Well, if you remember too, I don't know if you watched it, but uh, when it first came out, there were like those drop test videos mm-hmm. that showed them dropping the tablet on the ground, and literally when it hit on his corner, it bowed yeah, like, like yeah. that, like it really bowed, and I was like, wow, that's impressive, like that's some engineering right there. But now. Maybe that's part of the issue as well, not just the heat. It's the fact mm-hmm. that it's, it is so bendable and so pliable already that the materials that they made, which is smart, it's like you want to make sure that like if it drops, it just doesn't shatter. Right. But you got to wonder like, now. With, now you got to now. What's the solution? You put it in the dock. Look, it's really hot, and then you put it between two heavy books. Yeah, and straighten it out <laughs> after like, you get it out of the dock, yeah. or you park your car on top of it. Yeah. Or you pull your wheel over the top of it, or something. Like, what do you do? Mm. 
I mean, a lot of people are only going to use this thing docked. I mean, that's the truth. You said yourself you didn't care at all about the handheld part of it. Yeah. The only reason it is not in the dock now. Because you don't want it to get warped. Well, no. The reason is actually because uh, when it's asleep, uh, it randomly sends out a signal to the HDMI switcher and switches it to the switch channel. Oh. And, while I'm playing other things. Oh. So it's, and then it switches back. And I don't know why it's doing that while it's sleeping, because sleeping devices are not supposed to do that. Yeah, yeah. But the only solution is to either leave it on uh, when it, it doesn't do that when it's on, or remove it from the dock. And so I just took it out of the dock and stuck it in the carrying case. And uh, that's where it sits. Because Nintendo can't... Because the only... Uh, or you can turn it completely off, but the only way to do that is from the actual device and not from the controller. So I had to basically take it out of its dock for that. Now, I mean, look, frankly, I don't really care if it's bent yeah like i'm almost probably even if never... it gets as bad as some of the images that we saw online not really. i mean look my worry on that is it stops working well i mean you, you start know? bending that screen though There's you start so getting far. variations on the edges like it starts getting dark in the corners and yeah. you have problems well, I, i'm never gonna look at it probably, right so i play it on tv it's a tv system to me but again the concern on that is, like, I, I assume there's only so hot it can get and so bent it can get before something stops working. Yeah. And it just won't play anymore. I have a question, actually, and this may be really stupid. Have you figured out a way to turn on your Switch with just a controller? What do you mean? Like, like if it's it completely turned off and not in sleep off? mode? No, I think you have to hit the, use the power. Yeah, button. I don't think there's any way to turn it on if it's not in sleep mode from, like, your couch. I think that's right. Yeah, I haven't. Maybe someone in the chat. The only knows way to turn it, turn the only way to turn it completely off is to, you know, get off the couch in the first place. So I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> good point. <laughs> uh, what else happened this week? Uh, so someone deconstructed the switch, looked at all the components, priced them, and figured out that Nintendo basically is spending around two hundred fifty, two hundred sixty dollars to make each one. Meaning the profit margin for the switch is only about forty dollars. <coughs> Matt, do you think it would have been smarter for them to just make no profit off of it and sell it at two fifty? Well, are they making a profit off that? Well, like I once you get through you... like distribution chains and all that, I That's feel a like good they, point. I feel like they aren't making a profit. If off anything, that. it's probably like fifteen bucks or something if like that. that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Nintendo always has been very careful to sell hardware at a profit, even if it's a very minor. Like you know, even if you're making three bucks off off a Switch sale in the end, you sold two million of them. Yeah. Six million bucks. Yeah. It's not bad That's... for just getting something. Into that could develop home. a whole game. Yeah. Um, and they're gonna need it. Yeah, they are. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's snipper clips too. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they were making a little bit, a little bit, just because Nintendo just doesn't sell hardware at a loss. They never do. And to me, that's one of the smart things they do. You know, maybe it's not great for the consumer, but they've. That's you know one of the things that never ended up with putting them in a hole. The way Sega ended up, because Sega was sell hardware at a loss, right? And hope to make well, it up in software. But most usually, yeah, do. usually does. Yeah, but like, um, like I just, I, I, I mean, I don't know. Am I supposed to be upset that they're doing that, making a profit on the hardware? Because like, it seems to be I selling just fine. I was asking you if it bothered you. I was saying, do you think no. it would have been smarter for them to take the loss and sell the console cheaper, hoping that you sell more consoles and then more yeah. software, well, and it's kind of that snowball rolling downhill? Well, I mean, we'll see as, like, you know, it moves from, you know, the enthusiast Nintendo fan audience, you know, having their Switch into, like, can we sell this to people beyond that audience? But for right now, uh, they can't even keep them on the shelves in the United States. Yeah. So, like, I think the main the main pricing problem they have is the fact that it's too expensive in Europe and Australia. Like the the price over there is more like three seventy. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in Canada, I'm assuming yeah, as well. I feel like they should have taken more of a hit on the price in those territories to try to get more penetration because 
you can basically walk into a store in Europe or Australia and find them all stacked on the shelf. I mean, no one's buying them because they're so expensive. Right. Um, I think $300 turned out to be pretty much the sweet spot price for somebody interested in that thing. Um, and uh, so, so in terms of like 300 I'm kind of okay with that, especially because when it comes down to non-enthusiasts, you're probably going to see some somewhat of a drop, you know, by the, by the time it's time to really be focusing on that audience. Yeah. But I feel like they kind of screwed themselves in Europe and Australia just by pricing it out of most people's sort of impulse buy range. Yeah. Some people are just not going to spend that money just to play right. Zelda. And I think a right. lot of people look at the Switch right now as if you buy it, you're buying it to play Zelda. And uh, sometimes that's a tough sell if someone's not a hardcore Nintendo fan, no matter how high the review scores are. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is how successful it is. Um, today an analyst came out and said based upon... Nintendo's stock activity, he believes that it will or it could ultimately end up becoming as successful as the Wii. That's some legs. That's do you believe that? No. Me either. But like <laughs> in part because like look, for it to be as successful as the Wii, Nintendo's gonna have to get some freaking product in the channel. Yeah. And like the other thing is the Wii sold overseas better. Uh a lot better, because it wasn't three hundred and seventy plus. Like the the international pricing is a little crazy. Like Japan and U.S. and the U.S. have have a pretty good price, but again, we still don't really know what this thing's going to sell like once you're trying to break out of you know because even early this early in the Wii's lifespan, I th- which isn't a total one to one comparison because it was Christmas time, but like you had mainstream news stories reporting on it. You had yeah. Grandma and Grandpa playing Wii bowling. You had all the the breakout of the Wii was because it reached people that never play video games normally. Right. And then that came to bite Nintendo on the ass because the software they tried to sell subsequently did not appeal or interest that audience. And maybe nothing would have appealed to an interest that, you know, I think about, I've said it before, but I think, I would say a generous estimate is like about 50% of all the Wii's ever sold only played Wii Sports. Well, I think the Wii was like, the first video game console I ever owned was Pong. And it was a console that just played Pong and Mm -hmm. Skeet in like 1976 or something like that. And... That was kind of what the Wii was. It was kind of of going all the way back to that where it was like this piece of electronics that you bought to do one thing. Mm -hmm. And it was to play Wii Sports. And and I agree with you. There's no way it's going to be as successful as the Wii. It's just just not possible because you're not seeing these stories where the nursing home has Mm -hmm. Switch Night. Or, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you saw all throughout the first year and a half, two years, the Wii was on, on the market. I think it's certainly picking up with gamers very well. Yeah. But, but, the, but the reason the Wii blew up the way it did is because the gimmick appealed to non-gamers. Right. And I don't think the gimmick on the Switch appeals to non-gamers. It appeals to gamers who want to take stuff with them or play stuff off the TV or don't have a TV that they have to themselves. They have to share it with roommates or parents or whatever. Like The advantage of the Switch is, is a very specific to gamers thing. Yeah. It's not something that like grandma and grandpa have been begging for especially because it doesn't have any non-gaming features it's it's you know the the switch isn't the social experience the wii became exactly and i just yeah. don't see it catching fire like that yeah, I, just I, I think it'll be com- i think it'll do well but yeah. i don't i mean i think you're looking at like 3ds well not we we well yeah it hasn't hit that cultural tipping point and i don't think it ever will it's like mainstream mm-hmm. media though even the week of launch i didn't see a ton of coverage on it i did see some on cnn and yahoo and all those 
kind of commercial. I mean, yeah, websites. you had the standard financial coverage of it, but you didn't. Yeah. You, there weren't any human interest stories about it. There wasn't the grandma and grandpa playing the Wii. There wasn't the oh look, use the wrist strap because here this guy, you know, threw his Wiimote through his plasma right. TV. Yeah. And so you know, like it, like that. Well, even these stories about like the warping and the left Joy-Con problem, like that. Never made it to mainstream. All, yeah, no. it never resonated with them. So, in part because even the warping thing doesn't have as cool a visual as, you know, the smashed LCD screen, yeah. which was the like, Wii remote sticking out yeah. of like the screen or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah, it doesn't have the same impact. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, uh, as far as it being successful, is that Square Enix came out yesterday and said that it plans on supporting Nintendo Switch over Scorpio. That makes sense for such a Japan-centric company. Yeah, this is what I was talking about earlier when we were talking about Scorpio that I was like, I'm going to allude to mm-hmm. later. This is what I was I was mentioning, is that, you know, we're talking about how poorly Microsoft is doing in Japan. And this is, look, here is a direct ramification of its inability to get Japan on board. Yeah, I mean, it, it just, if you're Square Enix in terms, you know, leaving aside your, your Western content, like the Marvel stuff or Tomb Raider or Deus Ex, um... If you're Square Enix and you're looking at your your core properties, and you you want to like you know conserve your resources of you know in two of the th- big three, I mean Nintendo and Sony are the ones that make sense there. Yeah, once the Switch started selling well in Japan, that was that was it. Mm. Because I mean, look, a lot of Square Enix's fans are in Japan, and yeah. uh, it does make a difference. Japan does make a difference for Square Enix. Yes, unlike a lot of publishers, where it's just like, oh, maybe we'll sell another sixty thousand copies of our game, which is not chump change. But mm-hmm. most Square Enix, it's it needs to make decisions based yeah. upon the Japanese market. And with that in mind, it makes total sense right. that it would support. That said, I would expect a lot of their Switch content to be, you know, last gen ports and mobile ports. What we're getting and, already. Yeah, and you know what would have been I handheld am games. Soon, uh, Dragon Quest Heroes yeah. two, 1 and 2, stuff that's already been out on other platforms. Like we're not, I highly doubt we'll see like Kingdom Hearts 3 or Final Fantasy 15. I highly doubt that either. And the other thing I think I've noticed with Square Enix's support of Switch is that the game needed to come out on the Vita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every game. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. That's what it's doing. It's taking the Vita versions and porting them mm-hmm. over to Switch. Like, if you look at the Switch version of Dragon Quest Heroes 2 next to the PlayStation 4 version, it's, like, night and day. It's mm. like, oh, my God. It's almost like the difference between, like, last generation and this generation when you look at it, which makes sense. That's very, yeah, it's very much what that is. <laughs> um, and you look at I Am Setsuna. That's a game that was released on Vita and mm. sort of on every platform, really. It's not really graphics-intensive. But that's kind of what you're seeing. Anything that it released on the Vita... And if and then if you look at the Switch version versus the Vita version of Dragon, Dragon Quest Heroes 2, they're like identical. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that it's ported over that handheld version over to Switch. Again, it makes sense, but it doesn't bode well for a lot of Square Enix's big games eventually coming to Nintendo's hardware. Mm-hmm. So, although they might be able to cram, I mean, I don't know if they have any interest or if Sony has a say in it, but it would be interesting to see them cram the PS3 versions or equivalent of the Kingdom Hearts remasters onto the Switch. Yeah, that that totally should be able to. It could happen. That should happen. Yeah. Um, and I would not be shocked at all if, if 1.5 plus 2.5 eventually comes out yeah. for the Switch. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, but as far as getting, like, Final Fantasy 16 no. or Kingdom Hearts 3... I don't think that's in the cards. No, unless Nintendo subsidizes Square Enix in a big way. Like, yeah. pays for all the development and says, I we also, need you. I also wouldn't uh, hold my breath for Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Yeah, 
No, I wouldn't either. No. Definitely not, which is a, a huge disappointment. But you see, I mean, there's a lot of people who are Switch fans who do seem to still be holding on to that hope. That really? Oh, yeah. Like, just because they haven't announced, they haven't said they no They haven't yet. said no, right? <laughs> and it's just like, just, I mean, the hardware can't do it. It can't do it, yeah. And, I mean, if you think back, you know, Nintendo went through the whole N64 era without Square Enix on board. Mm-hmm. And, but what it eventually had to do... Didn't talk to Square for right. years. Yeah, they years. hated each other. Yeah, Yamauchi hated Square after oh, yeah. that. Because it was a great... Um, God, what was and it? I don't blame him. I can't remember. What was, is it Glixel? Yeah. Somebody did a really great, like, long-form, in-depth article about the making of Final Fantasy VII yeah. a, no, a couple was, of months was, ago. It was, was Polygon. It? Was Polygon? Yeah, that was great. It was really good, and they, and they, the, the the Square guys who were there at the time talk about how like Nintendo just like ice walled them yeah. for like six. If years. If you missed it, it is an amazing feature. Um, if you want to find it, you can just go on the Final Fantasy VII page and then sort your sift by features, and you shouldn't mm-hmm. have to scroll down too far before you'll find it. It's really interesting. It's, it's some of the most like candid discussion I've ever seen from Japanese developers. Yeah. Normally, they don't talk. As upfront about about yeah. stuff, especially Square. Like Square is yeah. usually very tight lipped, but they they go in on some some drama. A couple and times. look, I don't blame Yamauchi for being pissed. No, I mean, not at all. Like, look, if it weren't for Nintendo, Square Enix or Square would be nothing. Yeah, like it built. That but it company. hit the point where Square was, Square just is like, what makes sense for us? Right. And they made, frankly, they made the right choice. They totally I mean, come did. on. Yeah, I mean, for the games that they wanted to make, yeah. they totally did. But, but I mean, Nintendo was mad. But Nintendo was mad because Nintendo had made some bad choices that drove Square Enix away from Square. It was just SquareSoft at the time. It drove them away from them. Well, I don't know if you remember or not. So, like we just said, no Square on the N sixty four. Nintendo wanted to finally rekindle that relationship, and it goes to Square, and it's like, hey, you know, we'll help fund a game or whatever, mm-hmm. and and then Square says, Final Fantasy coming to GameCube. Right. And that's it. It put out this, like, cryptic trailer or whatever that had a Final <laughs> Fantasy logo, and what it ended up being? Mm-hmm. It's Crystal the Chronicles. Chris, the Crystal Chronicles, yeah, which was, like, done by this, like, other team that didn't yep. even, wasn't even a part of Square. Game Boy Advance multiplayer connect, connectivity game in yep. which one player had to carry a bucket. Yep, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> and so I could oh, see Nintendo man. going to Square Enix, now Square Enix, and saying, hey, we'll subsidize a game mm-hmm. in the Final Fantasy franchise, and it could end up being something just like Crystal Chronicles, right. where it's like, Makes use of the Switch uses, hardware yeah. in some uses way. Uses the Final and... Fantasy trappings, but is kind yeah. of something that's more Nintendo y. Yeah. And also, like, such a thing. remember that Crystal Chronicles was also, I mean, very much in line with what Nintendo was pushing at the time. Nintendo was obsessed with the connectivity thing. Yeah. Uh, well, Iwata was, at least. Oh, yeah. Well, all the like, plug in wires all left and right. And look, Pac Man Versus was great. It really was. But yeah. you needed four Game Boy Advances yeah. and you need four cables. And you, I mean, it was, it was a very. Demand, I mean, I guess that's still kind of there because they seem to expect you to have like four switches right. to play Mario Kart with or something, yeah. um, and eighty dollars Joy Cons and that, that. But it's like Crystal Chronicles is probably very much in in line with what Nintendo wanted from them as you well. Think? I think so. You don't think it would just would have rather had a port of like Final Fantasy VII or? I think if that's or... what they wanted, they could have gotten it. But they wanted, you know, they're like, they're like, I don't know about that. I feel like Crystal Chronicles was something Nintendo thought would really push their connectivity angle. But they didn't, didn't. Ha- really have one. It's well, like no, they it never, bailed it just, on it It never so really fast. came to fruition, no. Right. It, was, yeah. it was just sort of like, we have Pac-Man Versus, and we have Crystal Chronicles, and 
you can like I think I think you could hook up like sometimes it would work up, as like a like almost an ami primitive amiibo. You could hook up a Metroid Fusion to Metroid Prime or something, yeah. and like you get like the. I outfit. mean, look, it was kind of the first look at what was to come with the Wii U and the Switch yeah. having like a separate screen as a part of the console experience. It was an evolution, the first step in that evolution, mm. and a failed one, I might add. Um, but otherwise, I mean, Switch is doing great. Uh, I'm honestly shocked. I predicted, what, 2 million? Or no, 5 million sales mm -hmm. first year. I think I'm going to be totally wrong. It looks like they're going to do Assuming way better Nintendo than Nintendo can make enough of them. I mean, I, there's, they'll definitely be able to make more than 5 million consoles in a year. One hopes. No doubt. I mean, there's no doubt they should be able to do that. They still can't get the NES Classic on the shelf. Right, but I think that's just priorities and things mm. like that. If My prediction is not going to be wrong or right based upon production yield. It's going to be based on whether it actually sells that much, and based upon. I think it will. I think I think any any switch you can get on the shelf in America by before Christmas is going to sell. You really think this whole think, year it'll last like that? I think so. Because what happens when everyone's played Zelda? Everyone will play Mario. Yeah, but that's not till the end of the year, though. Yeah. So what happens during that eight nine month period in the middle there's, where there's nothing to buy a switch for? Well, because I still think well, I think that period is only going to be about six seven months. And I think uh, there's still several million people who don't have a Switch that want one. And they're, they're going to get it when they can. By the way, Best Buy is supposed to have more on Sunday. Sunday morning. Yeah. They come and they go so fast. It's like, mm. you know, we try to curate articles for that stuff. And literally, by the time they come into our admin and we publish them... I'll go and check the commerce link, and they're already sold out. Right. And I just delete the story from Sifted. But I know they're supposed to get more this Sunday. So if you need to switch, go get in line at 6 a.m. at Best Buy, I guess. Good luck. But um, I, I honestly don't even use mine. I finished Zelda, and then I played the Splatoon test fire, mm -hmm. and I have not touched it I otherwise. kind of almost have bought Blaster Master a couple of times, but I just don't. I think you're smart for not yeah. buying it. I haven't finished Zelda, so eventually I'll go back to Zelda because I moved on to other stuff we, so we could talk about it. Um, I would just hope all that's, all that's available for it. Of course, now it, if I play Zelda, I'm going to warp it more. Right, so. right. I mean, all that's available for it is indie games that are available on every other platform. Yeah. Also, here's another weird thing. That are cheaper um, on other platforms and look better on other platforms. That storefront is so terrible. Yeah. Like, there's no way to browse games. Yeah. Like, they you don't have enough that you really need right, it Right, but, but, like, but you're starting to see games fall off the front yeah. now. And then, like, all the... It's cool that all the Neo Geo games are going up, but all the Neo Geo games are just screenshots of the game with no title on them. Yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, I know what King of Fighters looks like, but it's like everything else is like a nice kind of box arty sort of thing with the title of the game on it. Everything else is like, here's a bunch of screenshots of 20-year-old games. Yeah. Good luck. You know, it's like, what? Like, what are you doing? I don't think they counted on... I mean, I think even Nintendo didn't count on having that big of an indie catalog like that quickly. Yeah, it is, I mean, it is more, like, filled out than you would expect by now, considering what they were showing as the lineup previously. I mean, SNK yeah. really kind of came through for them on that, but it's just like, they, you need to put the title of the game on a damn screenshot. Yeah, yeah. The indie, I mean, the indie scene on the Switch is good. Yeah. I mean, it's... If you love indie games, that's not a bad platform to have. You love indie games and you don't have them on four other platforms already. Right. Like, yeah, solid stuff. Yeah, and I, I like that Nintendo put a concerted effort into that. It shows that it knew it wasn't going to have software mm. to kind of carry it through the like, first... Well, yeah, but it's also, and it's also kind of the things like that kind of game, you know, while you maybe a lot of people do have them on PC or whatever, like, not a lot of people have them in a, in a format where they can carry them with them. Yeah, the portability is probably going to be appealing to a lot of people there. You can play I Am Setsuna on the go or something. Like, that's yeah. cool. 
So, so far so good for Nintendo Switch. Congratulations, Nintendo. You guys are doing pretty well. I still don't have a fixed Joy-Con. Nintendo said it was going to send me one two weeks ago. Still haven't got it. And, and really, at this point, my system is pretty much unplayable. So, <laughs> not only did I, uh, do I have really no desire to play anything on it, I couldn't play it even if I wanted to, to be honest with you. I ended up playing most of Zelda in handheld mode. So, hopefully Nintendo comes through with that controller real soon, in time for Mario Kart, at least, which is coming up pretty quick here in a couple at the weeks. End of the end of the month. Yeah, yeah like the 28th, I think it yeah, is, I April 28th. That, yeah. All right, let's move on. Next, we're going to talk about another franchise that has been revived, uh, much like Bulletstorm. And that franchise is Jack and Daxter, a Naughty Dog franchise that has kind of just disappeared into the ether. Um, They're putting out a collection of all the Jack and Daxter games for... Again. Yeah, so there's an HD collection for PS3, Mm -hmm. and now they're doing it again for PS4. I'm still not sure how that's working, because they're actually labeling it as like PS2 Classics on PS4, which means that it's emulating the old version? Yeah, I think the PS2 Classics, would, PS2 on PS4 would mean they are emulating the PS2 games on PS4 with trophies. Right. So maybe not the So same it would be probably be better collection. to have the HD collection from the PS3. Well, I don't know. I guess we'll see, because I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I want to know. Do you care? No. I don't either. I liked the Jack games. Did you? Uh, more or less. I liked them. Yeah, liked. I didn't love them. Uh, Ratchet and Sly Cooper were way better. Yeah. Um, and the first Jack da- Jack and Daxter I thought was the best one. The precursor legacy. Because, because it was basically, it was a straight up Banjo-Kazooie clone for the most part with a couple of other ideas. It was so much worse than Banjo-Kazooie. And the, well, though. yeah, but it was the closest you could get on a PlayStation at yeah. the time. And then Jack 2 got weird and all like oh, edgy, like... Uh, like you know, dark, gritty kind of thing, and, and then bro-y. Jack Three, I thought, kind of, kind of had some. It was kind of in a pseudo open worldy sort of futury melt. It was kind of like the direction uh, Ratchet was going with the Deadlock stuff, but with a comic sidekick that was not a robot. I don't know. It, the Jack and Daxter games always kind of felt like a like a, a, a footnote compared to the other PlayStation platformers. Yeah, I uh, reviewed the first Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy, I think yeah. it was called, uh, at GameSpot. And so I mentioned earlier about when I reviewed Amped and got the the first ire I ever got from Xbox fans, when I couldn't even believe there were Xbox fans at the launch of Xbox. And I talked about how Sonic Adventure 2, I got beaten up by the Sega fanboys. Hmm. And my review of Jack and Daxter, the Precursor Legacy, I got beat up by the PlayStation fans for the first time because I didn't really like it at all. Like, there are all these parts of the game. There are no checkpoints in the game. There's all these parts in the games where they would have you climb up. And it was parts of the game were tough. It was not an easy platform. No, it was not, a, not an easy game. And it would climb up, but there was no floor. So you would fall. All the way down to the bottom and wouldn't die. And you'd have to do the whole thing, like, all over again. And there were so many parts of that, I got so sick of it after a while. Like, that was the first time I ever showed anger at GameSpot. Because it's like, you know, you start a new job and you want to make sure that you're getting along with everybody. And you want to make sure that you're nice and someone that feels like you're approachable. This was the first game that got me to just drop an F-bomb in front of, like, everybody and yell it in front of, like, the whole editorial staff. (laughs) And uh, I did not end up liking it anywhere near as much as all the other critics did. And, you know, even back then, I was like I am now. Like, I wouldn't change my scores because I thought other people were liking it more or hating it more. I just was always honest about my opinion. 
And man, did I feel the wrath from the Sony PlayStation fanboys back then. I got lit up. And I, I'm sure if you go back and look, I think GameSpot wiped all the comments from like all its uh, content whenever it replatformed at one point. But I'll bet you, if you go back and look at that review on GameSpot now, I bet you that there have been people that have gone in and added comments well, after the replatforming. People are saying that the, the, the video review is still on YouTube. Oh, and it is? And you're in it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Baby Shane. That was back when we just sit there and talk in front of the camera. Mm. They'd run maybe like two video clips the whole way through the review. <laughs> Otherwise, you just sit there just like this going, I really like Jack and Dags, right? <laughs> it was so weird. But it was new. Like, you couldn't even really, like, get footage of games back then. Yeah. Like you were relying on, like, whatever they gave you, more or less. Yeah. I mean, they send us like VHS tapes with yep. like footage on. <laughs> I remember. Crazy back then. I remember going to the 2003 TGS, and we were the only outlet that got the Kingdom Hearts 2 reveal trailer. Jeff Gerstmann and... on Giant Bo- Giant Bombcast this week talks about that whole situation. Yeah. He talks. And they about... wouldn't give it to websites. Yep. He and talks I had to about... carry that stupid beta tape with me all through Japan for the rest of the week. Yeah. Because like everyone was so paranoid that anything would happen to it. Yeah. We were the and... only ones that got Square Enix yep. footage from anything for a long yep. time, and he talks about that. He didn't mention how we were the only ones that got it. Although back then he talked to me about it all the time. <laughs> like, bro, I can't believe they only give that to you guys. That's so messed up. I'm like, I agree, but yeah, but they, no, they were, we're lucky. They said like uh, they, TV only. They didn't think. The like internet had the Square Japan didn't think internet video was high enough quality for Square games to be yeah. done justice, so they would only give it to us because we were on television. Yeah, Jeff also and said, boy did that change in yeah, about five years. It did, yeah. Jeff also said though that that Square thought that gaming websites were piracy websites, right? And that yes. they thought that like if you went to Gamespot or IGN that you like could, you like, could just download you games. could download the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, if you're interested in like old games journalism stuff, or even the way the industry used to be, this week's episode of the of uh, the Giant Bombcast is really good. He talks mm-hmm. about that whole scenario with Square Enix. So, um, yeah, I was never a fan of Jack and Daxter. Like, I always felt like it was this cut rate, like 3D platformer uh, that couldn't measure up to the better games in uh, in the industry in that genre. Um, it was better than Crash. I'll say that much. Oh, yeah. Um, at least I've, it I've was free roaming. Of, I've had dentist appointments that were better than Crash. Yeah. <laughs> There's some know. people that love Crash. Yeah, well, I'm There's not, people on Sifton that it. are really stoked for the remaster that's coming out. Well, I will not be buying a copy to deprive them of that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. Well, Parappa. Have you played the Parappa that came out this week? No. Ugh. Yeah? Jeff talked about that on this week's Giant Bombcast as well. He it it is not age and he is the world's biggest. I love Parappa. Parappa fan. I love Parappa. I love the concept. It mm. made me laugh when I played it the first time. But I downloaded it and it is awful. Yeah. Awful. Parappa was interesting to me because I remember I got it. It was like what was ninety seven. Yeah. And I got it and I brought my PlayStation home from college that year and we had a big. I showed it to a couple of my friends and they're like, "Dude, bring it to the Christmas party we're having." So yeah. I brought it to the Christmas party. We had like a house all to ourselves and I hooked it up in the TV room and and after like about an hour, everyone in the party was in that room playing Parappa and screaming at the TV and and taking turns playing it. Even like I mean like three quarters of the people that were at this 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 party were not gamers yeah like and they and they all wanted turns all the girls wanted I was, and yeah. i remember sitting there watching this thing and like i think this gaming thing might become a thing in a couple if, if, <laughs> if this continues like that because yeah. that was also the same year as final fantasy 7 right. which had kind of permeated beyond the normal did, the yeah. normal hardcore and i was like i feel like you know the next generation metal might gear. take off metal gear you know, metal was gear really was the, the year after that, that too yeah, yeah. 
And so like, I was like, I think this might finally be a thing catching on and yeah. sure enough the playstation 2 sure sure did it well the game is already hard as balls by the way it is and the window to get your inputs in is very narrow mm -hmm. in the re in the original game and there's some kind of a lag going on in the playstation 4 iteration it just does not it just wasn't fun and because you is there already, no uh, like calibration thing for not that? that i could find no see that see like everyone's you know with modern tvs and hdmi and all that like everyone's got a different lag thing yeah. in their setup so it's weird to me that they would not put that in because it's so vital to a music game well for me too it's like the way my system is set up is like i have all my consoles in my entertainment center hdmi is going out of those all into my receiver Mm -hmm. my stereo receiver and then there's just one hdmi going from my receiver to my television yeah. that's how mine is except it's a it's an hdmi switcher dedicated yeah, switcher same deal so it's like but I, you it, are going to get a, i mean my millisecond lag on that is something sometimes i think rock band said it was like 300 something yeah I mean, it, it, you got to calibrate for it that. does and it's borderline unplayable i can't do certain combo like one or two frame link combos on street fighter 4 and street fighter 5 on my tv but i can do them like that if I hook it to my PC monitor. But anyway, that's a problem with Parappa. But but back to Jack and Daxter, it's I don't I don't remember any of those games being great. Like eventually I thought they got good. Like I didn't even think the first one was really good. Mm -hmm. I thought it was just kind of an average game. And I thought the second one was better. And then I thought the third one was actually Third one felt like it found its legs to some degree, but I still wouldn't say it was up to par with what Ratchet and Sly were doing. But I, at the same I never time. liked I don't like the characters. Daxter's okay. Jack, I hate. He's just a douchebag. I don't like. You don't the, like the green soul patch. Yeah, I don't like the universe. <laughs> I don't like the the other characters that are in their games. I find I, the universe really inconsistent. Yeah. Also, like, it's amazing that this game we're looking at right now is in the same series as Jack Three. It's also amazing that this game wasn't made in Japan because look at those characters. They're totally like they look like Japanese characters. Well, they knew they knew the system this was on. Yeah, I suppose so. I could really care less that these new Jack and Daxter games are coming. Jack X Racing or No Sale? I think Jack X Racing is in there. Is it? I think it's one of them. Yeah, I think that's Fun. it's like four games. I like. Something. I always like the uh, the thing where um, it's like Naughty Dog always makes three games and then a kart racer. Right. And so like after Uncharted Three, people are like, "Well, we Where's know what's Uncharted next." Kart racer, yeah. <laughs> and that didn't didn't happen though, unfortunately. It should have done it. Naughty Dog's not the same as it used to be. No, no, it's not. And that's and that's uh, it's not the same as it used to be. Used to be. No, you're right. It's like kind of the third iteration of Naughty Dog. Yeah, Dawn, yeah. Really. I mean, when, once one of your founders leaves, that generally means yeah. that things are going to change. Or maybe things are already changing, that's why the founder leaves. So Yeah, well, Jason Rubin left. Was that after the the three the three Jack ones, or was that after uh, Crash kind of ended? Mm. Oh, it was, it was, he was there for the Jack era. Yeah? Yeah. I think he may have even been one of the kind of shepherds of the mm. whole Jack franchise, but... I don't want this franchise to come back. I don't miss it. I feel like it's you're never going to see a new one. No. 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 I, I highly doubt it. That's just not in Naughty Dog's wheelhouse anymore. No. That's just not the type of games that Naughty Dog makes I, anymore. I can't see Druckmann deciding, like, that's, that's their next move. I mean, could you imagine if, like, today Naughty Dog unveiled a new game and it looked like this? <laughs> like, it just doesn't even fit anymore. It's, like, it's, it's not, not their, their brand. Yeah. It's not their brand anymore. And so... Maybe they farm out the franchise or some developer comes to them and says, hey, we'd like to I, make a new Jack game. I just game. don't see that you need this franchise when you've got Ratchet. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't see it either. I mean, not that Ratchet is their game, but as far as the platform no, but in is terms concerned. Of like, yeah. what, what Sony would want on their platform, and like, you know, because I feel like that is definitely a negotiation that happens. Yeah. I feel like if you've got Ratchet, and like, why? Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like Jack feel, has always felt like an also-ran compared to Ratchet. It's never me. been as good. Like, when you think about Ratchet and Clank, what do you think about? 
awesome. Awesome what? Like gameplay. Like gameplay, controls. Weapons, though. Weapons, yeah. Like it has a I mean, thing. It's, it's, like, Ratchet's more, you know, after the first game, they kind of figured it out. It was like, oh, this is more of a shooter yeah. than a platformer. A third person shooter, yeah. And, uh, and it's kind of, but it's all, like, it's just so similar. It's like, it's like you've got a character with like, you know, one of them's got fur and it's got the big ears and it's like, it's like, it feels like such a also ran compared to Ratchet. And Ratchet just has that insomniac like quality to it. And so when I say Jack and Daxter, what do you think of? Can you think of any one element that makes you think of that franchise? Uh, it mostly makes me think of how angry Adam would get trying to review them yeah, in his yeah. cubicle. Because, <laughs> again, they weren't easy. Because Adam so. would always review all the, all the, like, the Sony all the platformers. platformers. Yeah. Because he loves those games. and uh, Yeah, then once I started working with him, he and I had to Rochambeau over who yeah. was going to review the 3D platformers. And he ended up with Jack a couple of times, and I just remember he was... Uh, he would always get frustrated at certain things, but he just came out of Ratchet and Sly in a much better mood, yeah. as I recall. He loves Sly. More than oh, anyone yeah. I've ever known. I love Sly. <laughs> I like it too, but he loved it. Uh, let's move on. We're going to talk next about one of the worst games I have played in a really long time. Uh-oh. Uh, that is Drawn to Death, David Jaffe's new third-person shooter. It is 100% free for PlayStation Plus subscribers right now. Um, it is the free games with PlayStation Plus, one of them. Um, Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time is the other one that's available mm -hmm. right now. Um, this game, Matt, in my opinion, is absolutely terrible. Atrocious. I, I have no idea what Jaffe was thinking when he <laughs> built this game. Um, I, I, because I knew you were, you said you were going to play it yesterday, so I downloaded it this morning and played, played a little bit. I played, you know, the tutorial stuff and I played like three or four matches. I got, I played three or four matches, uh, and that's, that's enough. It's real bad. Oh, man. Oh, like, man. Like embarrassing. I Embarrassingly think. bad. That is a good way to put it, Matt. I, I love shooters, love third person mm -hmm. shooters. Like, I thought I could at least find a little, little nugget of something that I would like in this game and, and glean some kind of enjoyment mm -hmm. out of. I am from the era of the high school notebook scribbling. I was one of those people who drew... I remember back whenever I was a kid, I got somehow I got a hold of a piece of the arcade art for Tempest, the arcade game. Mm -hmm. And it was awesome, dude. Like, Tempest is just this vector-based, like, very simple-looking game, but... The imagination of the guy behind that game and what he <laughs> thought those those characters looked like was mind-blowing. And so I remember I drew that whole Tempest art thing on one of my notebooks. Like, I would do that. So I understand what he's going for. He's from that same era. Um, but, man, it, that was just a terrible decision, first of all. To base a whole game around the idea of high school students scribbling on notebooks. Think about that. <laughs> Nobody could get away with this but David Jaffe. Nobody. Sony certainly wouldn't have signed anybody but David Jaffe to create a game like this. If anybody else pitched this game to Sony, it'd have been like, but yeah, this, this is in the uh, Jaffe's just crazy enough to make this work kind of category. Oh my god, dude! It, I don't even know where to begin with what's wrong with this game. I. It's like you're sh right now. I'm shooting an AK-47, by the way, taking mm -hmm. off two hit points at a time. Uh, an FU-47. Oh, yeah, that's right, an FU-47. Because everything is hilarious in this game, dude. This is the most vulgar video game <laughs> I may have ever played. Last night, I was embarrassed playing it in front of my wife. My mm -hmm. wife, she just shuts out games now. She doesn't even pay attention to them anymore. She looked at me and she's like, "What is this?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Well." <laughs> It's from this guy that I'm 
kind of know and generally respect, and it is one of the worst. And look, I'm lucky. I don't have to play all the bad games anymore. Um, but this is the worst game I've probably played in like three or four years. The shooting in it, there's you feel no impact from the guns whatsoever. Like yeah. it, it, it's you're completely disconnected from your character, and a lot of that is like force feedback and how force feedback works with the gunfire. It's just that part of it is awful. Like. It feels no different to fire the Fu-47 than it does to fire a sniper rifle as right. far as, like, the tactile feedback that you get from it. There's no cover system in the game. The jumping, it feels like you're jumping on the moon. It's hard to come to grips with, like, how far you can jump and be able to nail your jumps on specific parts of the level. Look at this. This guy, there's a springy pad down there. This guy just keeps jumping on the springy pad. And I throw the grenade down there hoping it'll land down there and it'll blow him up. But he just keeps jumping on it. The only slightly redeeming thing I found in this game was a couple of the maps. This map in particular, because it kind of has those columns that come up and then rotate, and sometimes they completely disappear. That I liked. That is the only thing I liked playing this game in this map in particular. Because it's constantly changing, constantly evolving. It's mm -hmm. like you think you have cover and then you don't. Like I like that part of it, but... <laughs> Everything else, dude, the art style. The one thing I liked in it was um, I was looking through the weapons and they have the RPG, which is just, you know, the standard rocket pelt, yeah. propelled grenade, little rocket launcher. And then right next to that, they have the JRPG, which is a 16 bit <laughs> game system that shoots copies of Final Fantasy VI. <laughs> and if it hits you, it pops up a big, like, 16 bit dragon with, like, three super deformed RPG characters that go, yeah! And, like, that's it. <laughs> and I'm like, that's a. And then later, like, a, a later weapon. Is it's a used version that's it's all yellow and it's covered in stickers and stuff and it like it's gross and it causes like poison damage. Yeah, and I'm like that was clever, that was funny, I like that. But they, it, but the the weapons still suck to use. Dude, they put the emphasis on all the wrong things in this game. It's like instead of getting the core gameplay to where it felt good and was fun to play, they worried about just sliding in all these god awful vulgar jokes everywhere. Like that joke's funny, I'll give you that, but. <laughs> Most of them are terrible. Like, most of the characters just say, the, drop the F-bomb over and over for no reason whatsoever. None. There's no context for it. The characters don't seem like they should be swearing. Nothing's happening that they should be swearing. Like, literally, you're running by yourself down a corridor, and your character's going, F this, F that, F, F. It's just like, <laughs> I was embarrassed playing this game. And then you start talking about, like, the scribble art style. It doesn't look that bad in-game. Like, I guess it kind of works, other than the fact that the arenas are the size of, like, one room in most video games. But the art style in, like, the UI is a disaster. It's like, okay, if you're... I don't know if you remember or not. Maybe you were even... You're a little younger than me. Maybe you were already using, like, laptops and stuff in school, but... Oh, no. We had no computers okay, okay. when I was, so, I was growing up. So, you know, everybody drew on their notebooks, but there were people who were really good. Oh, yeah. And like they'd pull out their notebook and you'd look at it and you'd oh, yeah. be like, I know, Damn. I know. This this is this reminds it was a guy I knew in middle school, his name was Jeff Tregoski, and he was a he was a, a metalhead stoner guy yeah. in the Metallica t shirt. <laughs> and he drew like the Master the, of Puppets album oh, yeah, yeah. cover. Oh, like. yeah. He was he was the guy who who uh, he brought me uh, I sat across from him in Home Ec and he brought me one day this this uh, tape and he's like he's like, listen to this. 
take, just taking home and listen to it. I'm like, what? Because I liked, I, I liked him. I got yeah. him all. And I brought it up. He had made me a copy of an early like promo version of an Appetite for Destruction. Oh wow! And I was like, what the hell is this? He's like, it's Guns and Roses, and it's gonna be the big thing. Yeah. And he was like, and like, so this, I, and this guy, he, he would draw on, you know, those like the Trapper Keeper stuff and all the, yeah. those, you know, the, that folder with all the sports people yeah, on yeah. it, and he'd turn all of them into like aliens and my, demons. I mean, just like he was. I mean, I thought he was gonna go on to draw heavy metal yeah, covers, yeah. like that's right. what he was gonna do. So, so this is this game is like that is like to him, but he was never this gross. <laughs> but no, that's not what I'm getting at. So what every school had that guy oh, yeah. whose notebook was like mind blowing. Yeah. Like you were like, holy crap, you're like, using like stipple technique on your notebook. Yeah, like, it's like when do we do the art installation for, for all just your folders. Right. Yeah. But this game uses the notebook from the guy who had no talent. <laughs> Like, look, there's notebook scribble art that is amazing and mind-blowing, and this went for, like, the guy who had no talent who just scribbled, like, a pentagram and 666 on his notebook. Like, man, to me, this game is a total train wreck. And, look, I've said over and over, you know, I have a lot of respect for Jaffe. I know Jaffe on a personal level. Um, Love the guy. But this game, to me, is a total freaking disaster, man. I don't know what was going on at the studio when they were building this. I don't know who was playtesting. I can definitely tell why it was delayed. But, man, so disappointed in this game. I I played it for, like, two hours, and I will never go back. Like, I couldn't... There was no, no rhyme. It's only two-on-two two if you play, like, the unranked matches. And, like, half of the matches, one guy leaves, and you're screwed! All it takes is one guy to takes, leave! And it took me, it took at least a minute to get any game running. That's the this. other thing. This game is free. Yeah. <laughs> and still no one will play it. I, th- I mean, probably a good thing. It's free. Uh, free seems about the right price for this to some degree. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I bounced right off it. I, I played a few matches, and it just felt terrible to me. Yeah, and, I, jank- and I was actually, I was worried about coming in, and you'd be like, oh, this is the greatest character action game, and it's got, like, this crazy <laughs> art style, and I love it. It's all, it reminds me of when I was a skater, and, and all this shit. And I'm just like, I'm going to come in and be like, I don't like it, because I'm not a shooter person, you yeah. know? I was like, but, like, but, like, no, I was, I was kind of happy when I came in, and you're like, that game's garbage. I'm it like, thank is, God. No, it is. <laughs> thank it God is, I'm not crazy. It is a dumpster filled with kerosene. <laughs> it is so bad. I I feel bad saying this because again, I like Jaffe and I respect yeah. the living hell out of him. He has made some amazing games. This is not one of them. Like I do not even recommend taking the time and the hardware, hard drive space to download this game. I deleted it before I came over. Yep. Because <laughs> so, I'm like, well, not playing this again. Don't waste your time. Don't even do it. It's not worth it. And it's not a big download either. I think I downloaded it in like five minutes or yeah, something. It's like two gigs. Or yeah, two. it's a small game, but. Maybe play it to laugh at it, but that's the problem. You I mean, can't even yeah. laugh at it because the game is so offensive and abrasive. Like, I, I, like, I don't find it offensive. I just find it dumb. I, I'm just like, it's dumb. I'm like, dumb what are you, like, what are you trying to? I, am I supposed to think it's cool that the fro- the frog dissected frog is saying fuck that many times? Like, I don't. And, like, he's constantly talking about how much he hates you, and I'm just like, okay, like, why? Because that's funny? But that's how I felt the whole game was. It felt like the whole game hated me. (laughs) Everybody in the game, the UI, everything about it. There's only six characters? Yeah. 
And, and like, they all have just one special attack? They have two. Do they? Yeah, they all have two. How do you access the other one? You hit circle twice. Oh. So I thought there was only one. No, they have two, and then like they have like various like like forward and L one seems to do something for a lot. But it's like they all they have pros and cons. So like each character, like say like like uh, like I played the the ninja shark girl, and she her like pro is like one of her moves does extra damage to the to the military bro guy. Uh, and heals her, whereas nor- against another character, it just does normal damage to them and doesn't heal her. Yeah. And then she has two other moves that 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 character, the the bro military guy, is immune to. He is the worst. The bro military um, guy is the worst. He just drops the f bomb for no reason. <laughs> None. No. There's no context for it. There's no reason for it. The lines aren't clever, and that's just. The way I look at this game is the whole thing is just mean-spirited. Oh, yeah. It's like Definitely. everything. All the characters hate you. They hate everything else. They hate like, each other. They hate themselves. Like, just the fact that they allow... Like, the, the shit-talking options in this game are some of the most extensive I've ever seen in a video <laughs> game. Like, they have pre-done, like, slogans you can send out that are all yeah. mean. It's like, you don't need to teabag in this game because no. you have a picture of someone exactly. doing that to them already set up. They have, like, up. these, like, video memes, like... What the hell? Like, I just can't understand who this game is made for. Even, oh, one other thing I'll even say, your buddy who drew so well in his notebook will not enjoy no. playing well, this game. Because it doesn't play well. Look at the water, by the way. It, <laughs> look at, did you go, I don't know if you're going to rewind that, but look at the water in this game. It, there, there's nothing. It's literally just a blue texture. Look at that. Oh, wow. Look at that. That's the water in that. this game. That look is, at that. That's some Unreal 1... Action, Whoa. right? Actually, I don't know where one looked better. Jaffe, brother, what are you doing, man? You're gonna kill your reputation with this. I, like, I... I don't know. Should have been calling all cars, too. <laughs> You're on quite a losing streak. Mm. Yeah, you think he might be done? This studio might be done after this game. Hey, I, I don't think he'll ever be done. I think yeah. he's too he's too too tenacious. He's a little he's a he's a he's a Wolverine. He is a Wolverine. That's a good way to describe he's a, him. He's he's always going to make something new. That's probably a good way to describe that game. Actually, it's like <laughs> the video game equivalent of a Wolverine. It's like you don't want to be around it. It's mean and nasty. All right, let's move on. Our last topic of the week. We talked about it a little bit because I just got started on it. Uh, but now I have played the living shamoles out of it, <laughs> and Matt has as well. We're going to talk about Persona 5, uh, what will likely be our final impressions of the game. Um, I would just say right off the top that the longer I play it, the less I like it. You're hitting the Persona wall. Have you played a Persona game before? I had played Persona 4 for about 10 hours. Okay. So I know that this game is pretty much the same thing Similar, as far as yeah. how the structure and everything mm-hmm. works. In fact, I'd, I'd be curious for you to tell me like what is different in this one. Um, I haven't really noticed much. Not a whole lot, really. I mean, uh, God, um, it's pretty much the same. It's more the tone and what you're doing is different. So like, usually like the the, the difference here is mainly the idea of being thieves and stealing treasure as opposed to just getting to the end of the dungeon and beating the boss. There's still the thievery angle Yeah, the thievery angle's there. I mean, the, the cover thing where you can sneak around. Because, you know, I mean, you're never really supposed to clear the dungeon out because you just don't have the resources for that, especially early on. But this one even more. I mean, I got to the point... So I was trying to follow uh, kind of a, a standard uh, um, plan of getting to the treasure. Because when you get to the treasure in the dungeon, and then you have to stop. Right. Because there's a whole, there's a whole game the mechanic. The whole calling card thing, yeah. and yeah. Because there's plot they have to deal with. Right. right. And then you go back in, 
and ba basically it makes it so the final boss of the dungeon is you can you always fight it fight it fresh. You don't have to like get because that was actually a a thing with the previous games where like you know you either you kind of had to uh, decide whether you could handle it or not because those resources are very limited. Here. Yeah. And in fact, in this game. Uh, I think it's much worse than a lot of the other the other personas. Because I played Persona Three and Fez and the PSP version and Four and Golden and I mean I played a lot of Persona. Um, this one I thought was uh, a little harder early on. I'm playing on normal, which is not supposed to be a crazy thing, but like there's no way to to regenerate your SP or your magic points early on until you learn how to make coffee, um, and. It just hammers you, dude. The first stuff. dungeon, and you, you, I mean, you go off. You, you accidentally get ambushed by somebody. You're dead. You're dead. That's it. The first dungeon in this game. The difficulty of this game is all over the place. I don't know how many yeah. you've played it. I'm about 35, 40 hours into it. I'm like, I think I'm eleven or twelve. I'm just about to hit the second dungeon. Because okay. look, you can't. You you play this game at the game's pace. Matt, like you, I didn't finish the first dungeon until the eighteen hour mark. Wow. Yeah. I There was one checkpoint. So basically how the dungeons are split up into chunks. And after you finish a chunk, you get to a safe house. And that's where you can finally save. Otherwise, you cannot save in the mm -hmm. dungeons. And so there was one safe house checkpoint where I had to play it, I don't know, 12 or 13 times to get to the next checkpoint. I just could not survive it. Wow. No matter what I tried, all the different combinations that I used with the spells and the party and everything... I just couldn't get through it. I just had to try it over and over and over again. And the problem was that there was like a branching path at that part of the dungeon. And I would go the wrong way. And, and, I, and I kept going the wrong way and getting to a place where I'd never get to the safe house. Like when I finally figured oh, it out. It like with the elevator? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know what yep. you're talking about. Yeah. And when I finally figured it out, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I could have just gone the other way. It's right there. And found, you jump yeah. through the painting and there's that safe house right there, safe room right there. Mm -hmm. But the game doesn't guide you like that. It's in like in some ways I kind of like it. I like that you just yeah, can put your own way through it. But other times it's in crazy frustrating. Well, it's like it, to me, it's interesting that like this game really. And maybe it's not an unfair thing that it does, but it really seems to think you know Persona pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah, and like little things like annoy me like, like the fact that like and it doesn't annoy me because i don't know it but it like it makes me go hmm Where like you're, you know every time you fight just like it's tradition in the games when you run into a a, a new monster you don't know what its weaknesses and strengths are and you kind of gotta throw you what you got the at attacks it. to figure yeah. out what they are yeah. now a lot of these monsters are the same as they've been through the so you run into one and it doesn't i'm like okay but i know that one is weak to electricity i know this one's weak to wind or weak to, see weak i to have cold. to go through trial and so error to, go, to do all but that but the thing yeah. is the game is not forgiving enough to allow you that trial and error to me. Yeah, to, in not. my opinion, like the like the more the the more the smarter play is to hit something you've never encountered before, hit it with what you got, figure its weaknesses out, load the load the previous save and come back and don't waste the turns doing it. Because the other thing is you're burning SP. You're burning SP and you're you're taking hits. Yep. Because you know the weak you know hitting hitting the health in this like the health regeneration oh, yeah. in this game is a joke too. It's oh, yeah. like oh here's here you spend like two thousand yen on a fifty hit points. Like. Right. <laughs> because like one of the rules in Persona among you know people play like Persona don't ice. buy anything. You don't you don't buy equipment. You don't buy healing stuff. Except stuff out of vending machines. Cheap cheap stuff out of vending machines. But the thing is, the well, vending you find machines, better gear in treasure right. chests. But the vending machines run out. So like there's one a couple vending machines that sell SP restoration items, but they can they only sell two at a time before they restock the next week. Yeah. Um, 
Whereas previous, like, there used to be a way, like, in previous games where you could, I think it was three, like, at least you could jump back to the beginning of the dungeon and stand on the save point and get your health and stuff back and then kind of plow through it again, even though the, the, the enemies would respawn. But, like, you you were starting from a later, you know, fast travel point, basically. Right, That's not right. really in this. You're, you're really limited to what you take in. And if you leave, the only way to get all that back is to leave the dungeon and then you've burned that day. Um, and the and the day countdown is uh, it's not crazy at first, but like you, you, it does railroad you through some stuff that I was surprised at how many days you'd lose to plot points. That's my biggest complaint with this game is that you said it in a text message yesterday is that it is an elaborate scheduling game, <laughs> yeah. and you're right. Like Which it, they, they all are. I mean, it's they all have about, since three. They've been yeah, that way. It's all about managing your schedule and getting because there's certain things that you can only do on certain days, or you'll get huge stat boosts if you do certain things. There's certain products you can only buy on Sunday mm-hmm. that, and so it's all about like trying to map out your time. And mm-hmm. I'm going to do this today. I'm going to go back into the dungeon and do this. I'm going to come back out, go through, go to town. And get new gear and, and go to the diner to get a special yeah. kind of tea. All this stuff you're doing, <laughs> you're trying to juggle it with the calendar. The problem is you can't because the game just out of nowhere says, no, you, you're not going to do that. You're going to bed right now for no reason. <laughs> like crafting. You have like a crafting tool in your room. The game just tells you when and when you can't craft. There's no rhyme or reason to it. I was... Like, a couple days ago, I was at a point, like, so what happens is, after you finish a dungeon, they give you, like, a week around that of game time to just kind of get things in order. Like, you go and buy gear with all mm-hmm. the money you made, and you... Because you're, like, you're given, like, a deadline for, like, when you have to finish the dungeon by. Right. If you finish the dungeon before that, you basically have free time until that day, and then, right. like, you know, the, plot's ha- the plot happens... And then you have some time between that and the next dungeon arising, right. basically. Um, which is more than, you know, previously in the other games... And we're games, all being completely spoiler-free. Like, oh, yeah. we're using nomenclature that's not going to spoil anything for And previ- you know, like previous games, it's been a little more like, um, you, you're kind of... You know, certainly Persona 3, your progress was more up to you. And it was possible to run out of time before you got to the top of the, you know, the big... It was like one big dungeon. Yeah. And these uh, four kind of introduced the idea of, of the dungeon being, a li- you know, self-contained and, and based on the characters. Um, so in the, in, the, in the previous one, it was always like you had to liberate someone from their persona problem in four. Like, and where this, in this one, you're basically, um, you're basically finding people that are horrible and, like, targeting the thing that makes them horrible and removing it from them. Yeah, and then they go insane. And then they go kind of like crazy and <laughs> weepy and weird. Um, yeah. Here's the th- interesting thing. I, th- I found the premise of this one really dumb. Uh, in the sen- in, in dumber than usual. I don't want to forget about the scheduling thing. No, well, we'll, we'll but, go back to that. But the but. scheduling thing is part of this. Okay. Where like, um, the previous games, like I'm one of those people. I like the mundane schedule stuff way more than the dungeon crawling in these. I really enjoy kind of like the the day to day school being stuff, Japan, just being around Japan, yeah, doing yeah. stuff. Like make, I don't mind it yeah, at all. So it's yeah. fun. Um, uh, the problem I have here is like I've always enjoyed the fact that you're just sort of like a random person in a school, and like suddenly these you know, like in the third game you get involved with like this club that investigates paranormal stuff, and they accidentally actually are investigating real paranormal stuff, and that's uh-huh. what the dungeon is. Per- Persona Four, you stumble on like a murder, unsolved murder that you, know, you you end up going through the TV that like you know it's kind of a multimedia like commentary on society sort of thing. I said this one like. 
you arrive in town new, but it's because you were like bad. You were well because you tried to well, save a woman. You were actually from being, good, but you're trying to save a woman from being assaulted in the street, and the guy you stopped is super connected somehow, and basically you got arrested in railroad, and you have a criminal record, and you're on probation, and. Everyone you run into in the first hour or so of this game is a raging asshole. Oh, yeah. And, like, they all they instantly hate you, and, like, the guy you're staying with, like, clearly thinks you're the scum of the earth. And, like, well, because you have the record, and everybody knows yeah. yeah, but even though it's, like, they know there was two people there, and, like, they say, oh, it's your fault for getting involved in adult business between two people. And it's just, like, really? Man, <laughs> you guys are the most gullible human beings I've ever seen in my entire... Like, yeah. no one believes your side of anything. And, like, the main, I love, the main guy you're staying with in the cafe is, like, not only an asshole in oh, that regard, but yeah. he's, like, he's upset that he drives you to school the day before school, and he drives you and complains that he doesn't normally let men in his passenger seat. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, says he doesn't know how to contact you because he doesn't put men's phone numbers in his phone. I'm like, dude, I think you're protesting too much. Yeah. Like, I don't know what you're... I mean, look, there's a lot of cultural disconnects in this game. Somewhat, but, but the pr part of the problem here is I think the translation here is real bad. It is bad, yeah. By, especially by Atlas standard. Atlas, like there's, there's what we would, what they called uh, my friends who loved uh, Hong Kong action movies back when we were in high school and college. They called them, called them hex errors. Yeah. I don't know why. It's basically when like a direct translation of of a of a of like the the subtitle is basically a direct translation of what they said, and it makes no sense in English because of the context or because of the the idiom or because of the uh, structure of the sentence. And there's a lot of weird sentence structure in this. It feels like a lot of this. Uh, game was never put through like a second cleanup pass in the yeah. translation. But the weird thing is that most of it's voiced. So like you get people saying these lines yeah. out loud like, like, well, it's not unusual to not see you not alone. Yeah. And you're like, what the <laughs> Who read that out loud? And was like, hey, maybe I could clean this up a bit. You know, it's like, like it's well, very Well, that's because strange. he had another 9,000 lines to right. get through you got, you had to in get, the you know, day that he had to You got two days voice. to read four movies worth of dialogue. Pretty much, move. yeah. Um, but but it's just, it's weird to me that it took so long for them to get this to to you know the Western delayed shores, because of but, this, yeah. yeah, and it's still like Not, for, for, it's by Atlas bad. standards, I think it's a kind of a, a substandard translation. Yeah, the writing is not good, and there's just so many just get to your point it's like i don't need to it's like they there's like eight pages of stuff and it could have been handled in two sentences it and again i think persona takes its time that's for sure i just think it's because it in some languages it takes more to express certain things and in english you can say things in few words sometimes i don't know 100 if that's why it's also but, the other way around sometimes sure, sometimes sure. there's like what's like two words and Right. Japanese or German, where you can say something that you know, express an entire thought, and in English you'd have to say, say three sentences. Right, but because the Japanese version already has these screens that are popping up, they're mm. not going to take them out, so they need to fill those fill screens. Yeah. And so they're just writing in this blathering garbage. Like, I don't even really read anything in this game anymore. Like, last week, I was reading them really fast, now I just, I just skip through them. Like, I, it doesn't <laughs> even matter. The plot is very easy to follow, like... You don't even really need the dialogue to know what's going on. You just watch the pantomiming and kind of figure out what the, st what the story is. But I want to go back to the scheduling because this is what is bothering me the most about this game. Because it's like you said, it is a scheduler simulation. Like to, It's shocking to me that the actual RPG combat of it is like an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Like... I do that way less than I do the just the running around, trying to meet all my confidants, uh, mm -hmm. merging personas. Like, the systems in the game are great. Like, um, the depth of them is just, it's insane. Like, mm -hmm. it took me a long time to just even figure them all out and figure out how they all worked and they are interconnected with each other. 
But the problem is, is that the whole game is gated by time and days. And the game, you don't have control over it. It's like you wake up one day, and one day you wake up, and you can do whatever the hell you want. The next day you wake up, and you're automatically at school. Some days you finish school, and you can run around the school and go through town and do whatever the hell you want. Sometimes school ends, and you just get immediately shipped back to your room, and you're like, okay, well, I'm going to cr- No, you can't craft. You're going to bed right now. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Like, for a game that's built around this, which is all about managing your time and trying to figure out how to min-max, like, mm-hmm. your free time or whatever, you have no way to predict when or how much free time you're ever going to have. Yeah, that's the weird... Th- I mean, the one thing, I mean... If you want just straight dungeon crawling, like that's what the normal Shin Megami Tensei games are. For. And Persona is very specifically about this live the life of a regular high school student with some dungeon crawling on the side. And I like that. The, I, it's the fun. Prob- I, like, I like the whole school right. environment and have, making friends yeah, and like really trying cool. to change. But the problem here is like, in comparison, at least from what I remember, because it's been a while since I played 3 and 4, the compar- in comparison to 3 and 4, I feel like after the first major dungeon in 3 and 4, and to some degree this, but not as much... That's kind of the tutorial. And yeah. sometimes that tutorial is eight, nine hours long. Right. Which and, is about how long this first right. dungeon is. Yeah. So, but once you finish that, you're kind of usually set free. Like, usually the, you're kind of allowed to, like, you know, run your schedule how you see fit. And, like, you know, the, the days sort of are, are broken up in predictable ways. Uh, and so far, I mean, I'm not to the second dungeon fully. I mean, it's, you know, I can see, like, we found the person we're going to deal with for that. Right. But, like, um, I don't, I still don't feel like I have control of the game fully the way oh, I did on three and four, and I'm yeah. beginning to wonder if that ever happens. I don't. I mean, it doesn't for as and for me, mm. and I'm almost forty hours into the game. So like, on one hand, so like on one hand, like what you're saying is just like that's just what Persona is in, yeah. in a post Persona three world. But also, I feel like this game feels much more constricting in terms of how the scheduling works than the that's previous. That's the ones word have. I should have used. I the game is incredibly constricting. It it dictates everything to mm. you instead of you dictating. Right. It. And it's like you said like, earlier, like sometimes a cutscene will just kick in from nowhere. Say you're going to that special place where you can buy that juice that's only available on Sundays that literally boosts your stats. And like you need yes. that. And it's a like cut the best scene, money you can spend. Yeah. And a cutscene kicks in, and next thing you know, five days pass by. <laughs> literally. Yeah. Like that happens where like you just lose five days and like all this planning that you had set up, like. You know, everything mapped out. Okay, today I need to go get that juice, and I need to go talk to the crew on the rooftop to plan out. Our, and it just all gets shat on. Uh, it's crazy. Like I, I, I haven't feel played like, a game like this in a long time. Well, so far, like, I feel so far, like, the whole game so far feels as constrictive as the beginning parts of 4. Because gotcha. 4 railroads you through a lot of stuff to kind of teach you how to play the game and, like, introduce you to the but concept. But see, I only played I... the beginning of 4. That's all my only experience right. I had with so it. So 4 opens up after you finish the first dungeon to a large degree. Way more than this one has after the first dungeon. Oh, um, yeah. And it's like... One of my things with Persona 3 and 4 was like it, it was like a Civilization 2 kind of thing where it's like one more day, one more day. Okay, we'll just tomorrow I'll save. Okay, one more day. I would just, you know, hours would go by without me realizing I was just still playing this game. And on Persona this 5. This game does burn the time. It does man. burn the time, but there have been a couple times when I, got, I get through the thing. Okay, I finally got through a day where I didn't have weird things forced upon me and I got what I wanted to do done. And I'll save the game in my bedroom and I'll be like, yeah, I'm done. Like I, I've stopped yeah. playing this game. When I didn't have to stop playing it, way more than any other Persona game. Because and, I, and I'm trying to say that I don't like it. I do like it. It's, it's another Persona game. It's a Persona game on a console, which we haven't had in 
eight years yeah. or something like that. I mean, it's it's great to see it. I love the look of it. Um, it's it, uh, but like it doesn't quite. It, it so far has not quite delivered to me that sort of the 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 addicting, like dig into that scheduling idea and really like you know go go nuts with it and decide what you want to do. It feels like it still hasn't given me the reins yet, and it feels I'm like I'm, I'm like I'm coming up on hour thirteen, twelve or thirteen at this point. I'm like, bro, like can we play? It is, it is, look, I had a blast with this game at first. Like, even with all the issues that I'm mentioning, I was like, oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Like, the first, like, 20 hours, I was totally okay with all of it. And then after a while, it's just, it just wore me down eventually. Like, I'm just, I just, it, it. I mean, that is Persona. Persona games do tend to have, like, a wall where you're just like, wow, like, this is still going. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And it was taken, the story was, was moving so slowly and a lot of it was predictable anyway. You can kind of mm. guess what was going to happen. You're just like, come on, man. I get it. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to finish this game, to be honest with you. Like, I'm getting to the point now where I've sunk so much time into it, and I don't know if it's a good use of my... Because knowing that it's like 80 to 100 hours, and I'm only like halfway there, I just... I will say, I will give it credit for one thing. Uh, the HUD, when I loaded it up, was partly off the screen. Oh, really? And I couldn't... I, no matter how I shrank or grew the screen size setting, it wouldn't change. And I finally dug, dug into my TV. Turns out my TV's been on the wrong size setting <laughs> for like six years. You mentioned that with another game, too, not long ago. I can't remember which one it was, but you said like the HUD or the radar was off of the screen. Yeah. I was like, I'm not having that problem. No, I, I, dug, I finally found this. Like, it's a size, you, you, there's a choice. You can either have the That's full great. screen or you can have it like 95% of the screen with like overscan on it. It's been on 95% overscan for like six years. That's hilarious. So I switched, and I'm like, look, it's all there now. What the hell am I doing? I, I don't know how I let that through. I think I set, fixed that on the main like, like TV one, yeah. and I never changed. I thought it was universal, and it's per input. Yeah. So I never change it on my, my game input. And here's, here's so the, now I can see the whole HUD. That's great. Here's the irony, too, is that I would still tell people to buy this game. Yeah. Because, look, I've played it for 30 or 40 hours that I've mostly enjoyed. For $60, that's great, man. Like, the combat... I yelled at it. I've yelled at it a, a, a fair amount. I have said, I, I texted you this, I have literally <laughs> said, that's bullshit. <laughs> at least like 250 times in the last week. Screamed it. Because it is. There's just bullshit. Like you just get one hit and just die. Mm -hmm. And like, like I said, there's no save points. So sometimes you're like, you've played for like 30, 35 minutes. You've got to, you know you're right next to the next save point and an enemy hits your entire party with one attack that just takes them all from full health to nothing, and they all die. And you have to go back to that save house and play through that section again. That's when I yell stuff like that. Or when, like I said, like the game just forces you to burn like three or four days out of nowhere. It won't let you... And I don't know if you got to this point where there has even been times where I'm in my room in the middle of the day... And it won't let me craft. It just says, hmm. we don't. We shouldn't do that right now. <laughs> I'm like, no, we should do that right now. I'm out of lockpicks. I'm out of lockpicks. <laughs> yeah, but you know what they're trying to do is they're keeping you away from building your proficiency, which is one right. of your stats. And so they're they trying to... They want you to go do the part-time jobs for that. And see, I feel like the whole game is that way. Like, there's all these little artificial stoppers that, that make no sense. Mm -hmm. But when you start to play it more, you realize, oh... That's their cheap way of making sure I don't become OP in any one category. They want you 
to do it the way they want you to do it. And it's such a strange type of game to be playing in today's day and age where every, just about every modern game is about player agency. Mm-hmm. And you being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, so that you're never bored in all honesty. And this game forces you to do things that some players are going to enjoy a lot, some may not enjoy at all, uh, and some are just flat-out frustrating. Like, like you said, it's a scheduling game that doesn't let you manage a schedule. It manages a schedule for you, and it makes you feel helpless in a lot of ways. That's the best way to describe it. Mm. You feel helpless playing this game a lot of times. Whether it's in the dungeons where an enemy just out of nowhere just wipes you out with one attack, um, or whether it's you, I have all the stuff I need to do. And, and the other part is it puts you on time limits. It's like you need to finish this dungeon by this date. And that was the other thing, too. Like, the second dungeon, like, I got to the point where I was starting to cut it a little bit close and finishing the dungeon, and it skipped ahead three days out of nowhere. And I had, what I had done, it was like, I was like, I got plenty of time. So I'm going to go to Shibuya and do all this other stuff that I've been putting off and build up my stats and whatnot not realizing that the next time I went to sleep, I was going to lose, like, three days. Like, it's just, it's an old, it's archaic yeah. old game design is yeah. what it is. And that's why you keep a rotating set of five saves. Yeah. So you can jump back yeah. as far as you need to. It's just And silly. I've done that. I've done that at least four times it. already. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, I screwed this up. Got to jump back to, like, three days before and do different things and talk to different people and hang out with a different person. And yeah. Up. And I and uh, same, jumping back and making sure you have the right types of personas because you need to hang out with the right person. You need to have the right type of persona that matches that their matches type. Theirs. So you get enough, like, you know, you know, bondage whatever with them so that their the, your relationship goes up and it's just like he's it, laughing but actually in this game bondage is like yeah <laughs> you can use that for two different ways but Couple of ways and look they don't explain those systems well enough like the whole merging of the no. personas thing because they use this language that just doesn't make sense right and that's what i mean by like they assume you've played it before because it's basically the same right as it's always been yeah but i feel like if you've played three and four any version of three and four, you are at a tremendous advantage compared to someone who has not played Persona until now. Yeah. And the combat's kind of simple. It's like, really, your whole objective is knock down the whole party, mm-hmm. do the team attack, yeah. or, or negotiate with or them negotiate so you can add their yeah. Persona to your team. Which is fun. I, I, I like yeah. talking to them. And, and but once you I like it when out, they beg for their lives. Yeah, yeah. But when, <laughs> I, I like that whole part of it too. But after a while, the combat it starts to get dull because yeah. you're just doing the same thing. You're trying to find what their weak spot is. You attack with whatever their weak spot is. They go down. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, it's the same enemy. It's like four of yep. the same enemy, or two and two, or whatever. So you just knock them all down, and then you just trigger the team attack and wipe them out. And it's it's one of those things that's like really cool and awesome. The first like couple. Dozen hours you do it, and after a while it just starts to wear thin, and, and that's kind of where I'm at at this point with it. So yeah, I, I admit, like in the in the first dungeon, um, I think by the two thirds of the waypoint, I just stopped fighting stuff. Yeah, and just I just past snu- it. I snuck through the whole thing, and I mean, it, and then the game it kind of is built for that. I mean, it, it does is. allow you to because you have stealth stuff. and you have a cover system, which. Yeah. I think I may have found a cover system worth it worse than uh, Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, not tops. <laughs> it sure doesn't like to let you go where you want to go. Oh, and then trying to get off the cover. Oh, yeah. And see, that's the problem with this game, too, that it screws you. It's like sometimes, like that one elevator part you talked about earlier, the enemy comes down on the elevator, and then the camera flips, and mm. you don't know which way to run. And so the first time that happened, I ran straight into the enemy, 
and so they get the jump on me and literally wiped out my whole party with yeah. one attack. Like, yeah, that, if you get ambushed in this, like, you're dead. You're all dead. You're dead. Like, just start they're over. All just dead. reload. Yep. And as soon as and there's happens, no way to reload, you have to you have to hit the fast forward thing and let it just yeah, kill you. You have to sit and watch the whole. Th- you can't run away from the battles in this game. Nope. So even if you know you're going to die, you have to sit and wait for them to completely kill. Like, I could go on and on. But the bottom line is that I did really enjoy the game for the first like 25 or 30 hours, mm-hmm. and I think for most people who are looking to spend $60 on a video game, that's enough entertainment for $60. Yeah. And at this point in the way the industry is, there just aren't a lot of games like this anymore. No. I mean, the other part of it, too, is it's stylish as hell, man. Like, this game is a this masterclass has, This in game UI. has, and we've seen it, I think we've seen it a couple times in the video, but this game has my favorite JRPG win screen of all time. Yeah. Where, you, where uh, it shows the group of them, like... Kind of hanging out, and then your well, whoever ca- your character them. just sort of goes like, "Let's go," and he starts running, yeah. and like that's I think that's the coolest damn thing. Well, I've if you notice too, whatever the character was that finished off the last enemy is the one that's in the yeah, foreground of the yeah. shot. Yeah, like dude, the, you, this this game is a masterclass in UI. I mean, the game's graphics technically are not good at all. Like, if I were not on par with like the average JRPG now, the art is great, but technically, yeah. I mean, just well, it's like because it also had to be a PS3 game, right? And it, you can see it. But, man, this game shows you how a UI can trick your ass into thinking something is the best-looking game ever, yeah. man. Like, it is so slick, so cool. And, look, I, I'm a kind of a sucker for street art, graffiti, and that kind of type of stuff, so I probably like it a little more than maybe most do. But, man, like, just the presentation in this game is so slick. Oh, yeah, it's real pretty. It's, pretty, it's clean. Yep. And it's, it's, you know, it's HD. Runs fine. And it's beautiful. Yeah, that, I mean. I like the, the, you know, we're seeing, like, the anime cutscenes here. These, are, these look great, too. Yeah, they do. I mean, Persona, the Persona games always look great like that yep. for their era. Yeah. So, look, I enjoyed what what appears to be the first half, I guess, of what it what the game is. Might not even be that far. Maybe not. But I'm really... What You know what day you're on around? I don't remember. Are you, what month? You're like in July? Whatever? I think I'm in September, maybe? September? Okay, you're pretty far. Well, what happens is, eventually, some days start ticking by right. really quickly. So it's not like you, you do every day. Right. Like, but 7-7 seven, seven is like the cutoff for like what Atlas wants you to show right. in video. Oh, yeah, I'm it's, well past where yeah. the... yeah We didn't even talk about the whole yeah, streaming that's a whole thing. Different thing. <laughs> We're running out of time, but man, that is insane. I mean, it's their prerogative. It is. I mean, it's their IP. I don't, I don't think that's really very... Good. Yeah, so some of you maybe don't know. the Basically, Atlas, you, first of all, the sharing is completely disabled. You yeah. can't take screenshots. Oh, it doesn't or, even take screenshots for for trophies. Dude, you get a trophy, you know how it always takes? It's yeah. black. It's yeah. blank. Well, it's a thing, I always pops up a thing that says cannot take screenshot right yeah. now or whatever. I'm so like, your screenshot for, for your, your achievements is a black screen with the little trophy thing on the top left. Uh, so you can't share anything just organically through your console, but... Atlas is trying to keep people from streaming pretty much anything relevant. They're like, no bosses, uh, nothing past like this certain day. And look, having played most, or maybe not most of the game, but a lot of the game, it's so dumb. Like, there's no, I can't think of anything that's happened in this game where I'd be like, I can't believe you spoiled that. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very by the numbers. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, it's. I mean, I'm not saying it's identical to. I thought Persona 4 had a more interesting story so far. Yeah. Maybe because I'm just more interested in a murder mystery than a, I don't know, people went crazy and crashed a train story. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure where it's going there yet. But, like, um, yeah, it's very weird. And it's like, I mean, I get, like, you don't want to give away everything from, like, a story-driven game. Yeah, yeah. But, like, 
I, I, I mean, I, I understand that, like, I guess, like, at, this is Atlas Japan, really. Oh, yeah. Because it was the same way in Japan. Well, Atlas, Atlas US, like, threw Atlas Japan under the bus. Pretty much, yeah. Like, they're, the, the email that I got, because also, by the way, I got one email with the code, and then the day before the embargo was up for the reviews, I got another one, and that's where all those streaming conditions came out of nowhere. And they called mm-hmm. them... Our masters Our in master Japan. Japan. And then at the end, they said something about, like, we're going to continue to try to improve this. Yeah. Like, like, we'll see what we can work know. out. Because they know it's a it's terrible insane. idea. And it's so short-sighted. It's just going to keep the game from selling. This game is, like, 100 hours long. Yeah. Like, there's no way anyone is going to watch a live stream of this game and be like, that's enough. Like, yeah. It's just not going to happen. It's so dumb. But that's Japan, and now there's rumors about Sega with Puyo Puyo Tetris, which I think ultimately ended up not being true. But yeah. I was I was gonna say, I was like, don't spoil Tetris. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that game's been out yeah. for three years. Like, what's yeah. what's what's left? Yeah. So at first, I kind of regretted giving impressions after only playing as much as I did last week. But you played like ten hours. Yeah, I know. But you realize <laughs> I mean, though, is a slow burn. You're right. You realize you're right. though, once you start getting into it, the ten hours is nothing no, in this you're game. Right. It's like a drop in the bucket. Like you, so, you finished the tutorial, basically. Right. Yeah. And so at first, when I thought that, I'm like, oh, but I, you know, I didn't play enough. I should have given my impressions because I started to realize how big the freaking game is, how expansive it is. But now that I've played it even more, I'm like, no. Like, it, it's fine. Like, I still feel okay recommending this game to people to buy. Mm-hmm. It's not... If you don't like JRPGs and turn-based RPGs, it's not going to change your mind. No. Like, also, like, if you don't like hard game, I mean, Yeah. Game, even on normal, I find it pretty challenging as, as these things go. Yeah, I... Because I was... When I got stuck in that one part in the first dungeon, I'm like, am I just like... How do you suck at a turn-based RPG, <laughs> first of all? I'm like, how is that even possible... But then second of all, I'm like, am I the only one? So I just did a Google search of, like, how hard is Persona 5? So I wanted to figure out if, like, there was something I was missing. Because I was thinking maybe there's a mechanic that I'm just not using mm. or whatever. And uh, I went online, and a lot of people were like, I died. One guy wrote, I never died. <laughs> I'm just like, you are a liar. There's no way you played this game and didn't die. You just get one hit killed, like, all the time. Like, but so... It was funny. You'd see the thread of, like, all these tough guys. Like, oh, I think I died four times. Oh, I think... And I'm just like, dude, are you kidding? And then there'd be the one guy who tells the truth. He'd be like, I died, like, constantly. Like, and there was (laughs) nothing I could do to stop it. And I'm like, that's me. I'm like, I'm not alone. Okay, I'm not missing anything. So, it's been a crazy trip playing this game. It's been a peaks and valleys, highs and lows, like... But there are every, you know, every once in a while, there's even some good writing here or there. There's been a couple, like, quips that were actually really mm-hmm. funny, where they managed to kind of nail kind of American culture versus Japanese culture. Um, but with... It, it was one I, because, like, early, somebody spreads rumors, you know, when you first arrive at school that, like, you're the criminal kid and you you pull knives on people. Right, and so, right. so, everyone, so you walk around to school and you hear people constantly talking about stuff yeah. like that. And at one point, I was in, like, the, the train station and I was just listening to people talk, like, you know, and there was just two, these two people and, like, they're talking about, like, like uh, it's, it's like one of those things where, like, you know, in JPR, JRPGs you have conversations where, like, the passerby sort of like randomly clue you into like a game mechanic or something like oh you could go over here and buy this thing it's like oh okay that's cool and then out of nowhere one of them goes by the way did you hear about the new transfer student at the high school who pulls knives on people as a total delinquent yeah and the other person's like 
No, why would I know? You know a lot about the high school around here for not being being a part in living in town. It was, like, it was like it was like this nice little like reference, like yeah. Hey, why does everybody talk about? There's me? little stuff like, like that here and there, but it's very rare. Very rare. It's, it's played straight for the most part. I think I chuckled of, maybe like five times out of all the time. I've yeah, played outside it. of the the. The, the running gag of, of a couple things, you know, like the the one your blonde the blonde guy is kind of the 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 the, the well stooge. they're all stereotypes yeah yeah but he's the he's the fall guy right. basically yeah. he's he's the comedy relief yep. for the most part and it's not he's not funny at all by the way no his writing is really bad I do like the cat though yeah yeah <laughs> who's named Morgana even though it's a boy yeah okay well actually I'm not gonna spoil anything for you <laughs> yeah we'll get there <laughs> you'll get there maybe someday. But uh, yeah, so initially I was, after I started playing more, I'm like, oh man, I, I jumped the gun. I shouldn't have told people to buy the game. But now, I think if you, if you like JRPGs, you should buy it. You'll, you'll enjoy it. And you'll definitely get more than your money's worth out of it before you kind of burn out on it. I think everyone's going to burn out at a different level. And some people may make it to the end and never get burned out on it. But oh, people, there are people who play these games over and over and over. I, play, yeah. I mean, I finished, uh, I finished 3 and I finished Fez. I didn't finish the PSP version of 3. I did finish... The PS2 version of four, and I finished the PS, the Vita version of Golden, Golden on easy. I didn't want to go through that. Again. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I think I think they're enjoyable, and I think it's fun to do things. The they're thing different. Is it, it's different. It's def definitely That's different. There's nothing thing. else like it. There really isn't. There really isn't. There's no other game like Persona Five. I, I will say that a thousand times, and that's good. It's good to mix it up every once in a while. I mean, there's stuff like, you know, like things like, say, I guess, Princess Maker and stuff like that. But, like, not on... The production value and the dungeon crawling are just not on the same level as what you get in Persona. And, uh, and also, like, I like the Persona... like the weird kind of... I love stuff that kind of deals with, like, the weird undercurrent of what weird stuff could be happening under the veneer of the city, the city or the civilization or whatever. Yeah. That's why I like Lovecraft. And it's like, well, I think it also captures Japan very well. Yeah, it does. You know, same, same thing as, like, Yakuza, where it's like, you know, it, it reminds me of get, being in Japan and seeing all the, the kind of... Man, I want ramen after playing that game. Because <laughs> the, the blonde kid loves ramen. Like, right. that's what a hangout is. One of those, like, ramen places, like, where Sessler used to bring us. Right. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. Like, it's so good. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our trailer of the week. It was not a great week for trailers. However, if you remember, I think it was three months ago in our Q&A session, which we're about to get to, so start getting those questions ready, somebody asked us about arcade basketball games. Mm -hmm. Remember, someone was like, uh, will NBA Street ever come back, yeah. and blah, 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 and we said, I believe we both said we doubt it. Probably not, yeah. Because EA's NBA Live series was doing terrible, and, you know, 2K had kind of established itself as yeah. a... It's been a long time since EA Sports big. Yeah, everybody. exactly. But we were wrong. Arcade basketball is coming back, and there's a brand new game called NBA Playgrounds, which is a two-on-two basketball game. It's about the closest thing I think you're going to get to NBA Jam in 2017. It's coming to PS4, Xbox One, PC, and Switch, and maybe even mobile, actually. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but here's the debut trailer for it that stars Alan Iverson. Before the arenas and the crowds and the shoe contracts... Before the private jets and the Ferraris and the fame. Before anyone knew my name, they knew my game. On the playground. Oh, yeah. 
You talking about practice? <laughs> Not a game. No. Practice? We talking about practice? Do you remember that? Yeah. When he I, went on for like 20 minutes? Yeah, I don't... I don't, I don't Not know. a game. Not a game. <laughs> you talking about practice. I, I'm just like... The thing about like those kind of arcade sports games to me is like none of them have ever felt as good as NBA Jam. No, you're right. They just yeah. nailed it the first time, yeah. dude. They just totally did. And just playing on an arcade cabinet too. Yeah. Total different experience. The arcade buttons playing that game, like mm-hmm. it's just... It was perfection. You know, and one of the other best things, like, because I, it was an arcade. And I love the corny art style, too, with the weird, like, pasted on big heads. Like, it's great. Altitude with an attitude. Like, all that. And, like, (laughs) yeah, it was a a local arcade where I worked in high school. I was working working there because it was also a comic shop. So I spent my afternoons throwing copies of Turok number one in in bags and boards. Yeah. Um, But we had a constant, just vicious competition going on, on the NBA Jam Machine. And like it was, always, it was me and like two of the regulars and the owner and like we would just play over and you know, and um, whoever had you know because whoever was number one at that location you know everyone in the attract screens your initials would come up in giant gold letters oh, yeah. and like it would come up and whoever whoever's it was would point. I was like, just want to draw your attention to the NBA Jam machine at this moment. Like it's like you know, and like it was just yeah, like, a lot of bragging rights. It in was that game. so good, so much fun. You know, it was random a lot of times. I think that's what made it. Fun, oh, the ketchup. Though. Yeah, I was. Total garbage. But that's it was what like, made it fun. It was great, yeah. You never you, felt like you're out of it, so you never gave up. Oh, and because like the you know that last minute like sling shot that like you know you had like a higher percentage of making like the across the court three pointer at the last buzzer like, and sometimes that was the game, yep. like, and that was amazing. Yeah. Like it was, it was unless you were the one who lost because of it, then you were yep. screaming. That's Street it, Fighter Two, Mortal Kombat Two. Those are yep. probably the three arcade games I have the most fond memories of on my own. Playing mm-hmm. Punch Out was the game I really enjoyed, but yeah, those and uh, Samurai Showdown. We had a big Samurai Showdown rivalry. Those are the good times. All right, let's get to some questions here. Um, Hippie Two Thousand, what is dungeon crawling? <laughs> Well, um, there's there's a couple different ways to describe it. So, if it's, as a genre, a dungeon crawler is a first-person turn-based mm-hmm. RPG, like where you see like the hallways that come at you, and then you take turns like attacking. And then dungeon crawling as an activity is just like grinding your ass through like yeah. a turn-based dungeon. It's going through a, a usually a maze or whatever, just a gr- an area of enemies that you have to make it through to get to the next thing. Um, or in some cases, get to the next floor and like you're just looking for loot. Comes out of like pen and paper Dungeons and Dragons from back in the day. Here's one from the One Geo. What was the worst game you have ever finished? Oh, probably. I mean, if we're not counting like old games that I didn't know any better because I was a kid and I had no access to the internet to know that everybody hated them. Um, <laughs> probably wanted. Yeah. The game based on that movie with the curving bullets and Angelina Jolie. Yeah. I played that. I finished that game just because we'd given it a bad score and the people who made it were angry about it. So I decided to play it to see what the deal was. And it was indeed terrible. I finished it in 55 minutes. (laughs) And then I went back to the beginning and I set it to the highest difficulty and I beat the first three levels again without firing a shot. Uh, The game was terrible. Yeah. (laughs) It It was not really set up to do what it needed to do. Worst game I ever played was E.T. for the Atari 2600. Finished? Because I finished it. Yeah, all my friends gave up. I actually was like the one person in my circle of friends when I was a kid who stuck with it and finished E.T. I think maybe I did finish that. I Dude, I blew minds with E.T. because everybody would fall into the pit and they'd just quit. 
or they maybe they get back out of the pit and they go to that other screen and then they mm. give up there. Like I got to parts of ET that most people don't even know exist. Uh, I, friends would come over to watch me play ET because they'd be like, <laughs> "She can get to all these screens that nobody even knows exist." So that was, for me, the worst game that I ever finished. I think I'm one of maybe, like, two people in the world who ever finished E.T. for the Atari 2600. Uh, that was a good question, by the way. Uh, some people talk about Persona. Uh, from Dustin Horman, what do you think about the YouTuber visit at Valve? Do you think that focusing on giving curators more influence will help keep the storefront looking clean from fake games? Uh, what would you have done to get the Steam storefront easier to browse? Um, I mean, if that's what they want to do, fine. Um, certainly, Sterling and and uh, those guys are are the most vocal opponents of yeah, Total of the Biscuit fake game and Jim things. Sterling were the two people that went. Uh, maybe yeah. others went. There was like one was... other, I think, but they were the two big guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, cool that they're listening. I guess uh, the thing is like. I mean, I love watching Jim Sterling rant about those the terrible games and stuff, but I've never seen one pop up on my front page because I don't buy or play them. See, he, that's what his problem so, is. Like, it's because he goes and buys and plays them for his video segments, they're getting force-fed to him. Yeah. Because they're like, you like this stuff. You like these quirky indie games. And so that's what he's getting. Like, I'd never even know those really existed if it wasn't for watching his videos. Me either. I think the Steam system is okay the way it is. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, to fix it, it's the same thing I did with Sifted to fix it. You have to have a human hand curating it. Yeah. That's how you fix it. If you have a, and is Steam, is a it, person is that even there. feasible with Steam? Well, that's what one of the things that they proposed to the YouTubers was them paying $12 an hour to people who have proven that they know games really well and are active commu community members on Steam just hand curating the stuff and saying mm -hmm. these are the best games. And you can dig into this other stuff if you want to. But I know this stuff, and I'm saying that... And Jim Sterling disagreed and said it was a bad idea. But I don't disagree. I think as long as you have the right people doing the job, that is the ideal way to do it. I mean, bots are getting better every day, and I'm sure at some mm. point they're probably going to have a bot that can do this kind of stuff as well as a human. But for right now, they're not there yet. And I think in some situations, there's just no replacement for the human touch. And uh, I think this is one of those cases. So that's just my take. Um... W. Matthew, do you think Microsoft could add Office to the Scorpio and target it at kids in high school going off to college? Hmm. Again, you'd need a keyboard for that. Um, it's got a USB port, though. I'm guessing it'll work with any keyboard and mouse, right? Will it? Because I thought there was a whole thing where Xbox, they didn't want those on Xbox One. I think, look, there are keyboards and keyboard and mouse for both PS4 and Xbox One, like mm. products that you can just buy that are made just for them with the branding on them. So... But I think you could probably just... I mean, I know I could plug any keyboard into my Wii U. Like when I was playing Monster Hunter, I just plugged in a keyboard and, hmm. and off it went. So, um, I mean, installing off... That's, that would go... I think he's getting at like what I was talking about earlier. about yeah, making it a cheap PC. Making it a cheap PC. I mean, I think it's a good idea, man. I, I'm not backing down from that. I think it could open up whole new avenues to them. I mean, you maybe don't need a powerful PC to run Maybe that can be Word included and... with Xbox Live Gold now? Yeah, you get Office for free. Because well, isn't Office like a subscription-based thing? It is yeah. now, yeah. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. Um, By the way, that's one of the other reasons uh, PC drawing PC gamers to the Xbox Scorpio will be difficult is paying for multiplayer. Yeah, agreed. You're right. That's absolutely something we totally didn't think about. Uh, from Fruit Eater, I'm torn between Yakuza 0 or Persona 5. Which one would you guys recommend? 
Ooh, I got two entirely go different Yakuza. games. It's, yeah, they're very hard to compare, other than yeah. the setting. Um, right. I like Yakuza better, but that's because I prefer like fighting action stuff over turn-based stuff when it comes down to it. But both of them are fantastic. I prefer. I would definitely prefer Yakuza, without a doubt. Um, it's because it's not as rigid. It doesn't. Yeah. Both of them, the both of them have stories that are about as crazy. They as are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're but, right. Like, yeah. Because you still get the whole Japanese touch in Yakuza, yeah. but it's a much more active, much more player agency for the player than you mm -hmm. get in Persona. Um, Persona feels like an old game in a lot of ways. Yakuza a little bit like an old game at times, but nowhere near as much. Uh, a lot more variety in Yakuza as mm -hmm. well. You play some classic Sega games. Yeah, and there's not much as that. Like There's like batting cages and a couple things you can do in Persona, but... There's not that vast variety of kind of activities mm -hmm. that you can get into like you can in Yakuza. So I, I realize we're going to probably against the grain of every other journalist by saying that, by the way. I don't know. Yakuza got good reviews, too. Yeah, like, I guess they did pretty well. I know Persona 5 is a new hotness, but if I had to pick one, I would probably pick Yakuza. Even though I'd really, I do really like Persona 5, even though I just spent 20 minutes complaining about it. Avusin, uh, now that the Switch honeymoon phase is over and its shortcomings have become more apparent... Um, how long till Nintendo is going to launch a revised Switch? Would it have backwards compatibility now that the, pre the predecessors are killed off for good? And which improvements are you guys hoping for? Good question. Um, predecessors to the Switch? Yeah. He mm. said since the Wii U is killed off, and the Wii is killed off. Well, I think you will see a lot of Wii U ports. I don't know about 3DS stuff. Um, I think uh, the next iteration of the Switch will be focused on handheld, and it will come right alongside the next real Pokemon game. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. We've been talking about it on the show. I don't know how, how often you watch the show, but uh, we've been talking about a handheld-only version of Switch for quite a while on the show. Um, one that you could buy cheaper because you don't have to buy the dock as well. Uh, one that won't bend because you don't have to put it in the dock. In the dock, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's something that we've it's kind of been a running dialogue on Game Face for, for a while now. So we, uh, yeah, I think we're both in agreement that we eventually think we'll see a cheaper version of Switch that just comes without the dock that people are, are meant to just carry around and use portably. Like, I didn't think that, I wouldn't have thought that really before I played m more with it because, I, you know, it's called the Switch. The right. whole point is it jumps between that and that. Well, you can but still become, switch the controllers right. off, so. But it's become so... To me, self-evident that it was always a handheld system that has had the console functionality kind of clutched onto it because they needed a successor for the Wii U, like, now. Yeah. Um, that, like, yeah, I can totally see them sort of reverting back to their old, like, plan for it as a handheld successor in a couple of years. Yeah, I think it'll be at least two years, though. I don't think you're going to see that for yeah, a while. I would, so if, I you're, if you're a, holding on... Yeah, for... <laughs> I, I, unless you're waiting for 2019, I wouldn't hold your breath. Yeah, you may be waiting a while if you're waiting for that day. Uh, as far as, like, a... A different version of the console take on it. I don't know what else you can really do. Obviously, you can make the make it so the dock doesn't destroy right. the handheld. Like, but... I, I would not be surprised to see a dock revision next year. Yeah, yeah. I would um, maybe even see that by the end of this year. To possible. be honest with you, I, I mean, I, I, know they, know... I know they swear that they did not pull the dock off their store. It's just yeah, sold out. Yeah. But I mean, that thing. I don't even that think thing needs another pass. It does, and I don't think that they would even like announce it. No, I think no, you, it would somebody be very quietly just somebody would buy a switch at a store, bring it home, and be like, "My dock's different." Yeah. And then go online and be like, "My dock's different." Put a photo up, and then we all cover it, and mm -hmm. then we talk about it on Game Face, and then you ask a question about it at the end of Game Face. Uh, next, lots of questions. Uh, the Legacy, what are your thoughts on Ukulele? I have not played it yet, but I am so devastated over the scores so far. 
oh, that kills me, man. I, and again, I haven't played it, so I can't say whether they're right or they're wrong, or I agree with them or I disagree with them. Just knowing that there are so many people that aren't loving it, it hurts my soul. Um, what is it? Ukulele, they're asking oh, about. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I can't imagine how all those people who made some of the best games in the genre could put out such a mediocre entry in the genre. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And uh, I was really devastated the day all the reviews came out for it. We tried to get review code for that game, and we could not dig up a PR person for that game. No, it's weird. Um, I actually bought it uh, before I came over here. Uh, I got a like a 20% off coupon for Green Man Gaming. I'm like, that's the right price. Yeah. Um, plus their pre-order discount. So I was like, yeah, uh, we'll see. And so... I mean, I know, like... We'll talk about it on next week's show, Yeah, sure. we'll t- uh, that's basically, like, what I'm pl- preparing for. Yeah, that'll be figure. one of the big topics on next yeah. week's show. But I will say I was pretty devastated to see everyone else's impressions of yeah, it. Yeah, like so this, but at the same time, like, I mean, other than performance problems, I did order it on PC, so hopefully the performance issues won't be a problem. Um, like, it sounds like a lot of the complaints about it are just, like, it's it's a game that probably could have been made in 1998. Yeah, and like that was sort of like the the point. I think that was what they were going yeah. for. <laughs> so I guess we'll just see how that yeah. shakes out. Now. And look, I full disclosure, I do like 3D platformers. So my I, I still like the banjo game. I mean, I know like they're probably not. You know, th- there's a lot of nostalgia happening there when I boot up a, a banjo game and sure. hear the music again. And, and yeah. you know. but uh, so I'm interested to the. Uh, uh, you know, I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah, I'm very interested to see um, what playing one of those games without that attached to it is going to be like. Yeah. So we'll see. Here's one from J. I know, Reed I Vic know Sterling 7. didn't like it. But when, <laughs> yeah, definitely geez. not. A two. J. Reed Vic 7 comment for Shane. Sea of Thieves is good. I've played it twice under NDA. The hmm. most recent last weekend. So thank you. You gave me a little glimmer of hope. Uh, one, that you're saying it's good, but two, that you just played it last weekend, which means that it's in beta or alpha or something like that that you're involved with. So thank you. Appreciate those words. And it's a good thing you're under a pseudonym on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> we'll she, just say she, that it was Michael Vick. Yeah. Cheater I'm hater. assuming you're a Michael Vick fan. Vick7, I'm guessing that's what that is. Cheater Hater does make a good point. I'm worried that ukulele sounds more like Tui than Kazooie. Uh, that is kind of what I'm getting Yeah. From yeah, that's true. Yeah, because people were complaining. Like, Jim Sterling complained about the overworld. Yeah. He's like, but I just don't know where to go because it's not giving and telling where. That's banjo. Yeah, that's, that's the that's way banjo, banjo is. Banjo Tui like, was like, where am I? Like, yeah, and where do time. I go? Yeah. It's like that's exactly how it was. Yeah, uh, Killzone Three Ten. Shane, have you ever been involved in any street racing? You look the type. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Like, do I look like I should be in the Fast and Furious or something? Like, I don't get it. I don't know. Maybe you just look like part of the family. I mean, have I raced on the street before? Yep. And that's all I'm going to say about that. He almost had you. Yeah. You never had your car. All right, one We're last... watching all of those tomorrow. One last question, because I am literally about to pee my pants. I'm not even exaggerating. I am about to pee my pants, so... He says that every show, and he never does it. No, I make it, usually. I've never <laughs> got this close. This is the closest I've ever got. My problem is I drink a whole gallon of Gatorade during the show. Uh, so one more question here. If we can find one. And if not, I'll be more than happy to run away right now. <laughs> uh, next, pur- next purchase, Hippie2000. Another one from him. PlayStation VR or Switch? Switch. That's a tough one. That is a really tough one. Considering I bought both, I feel like 
what's coming later this year for the Switch is going to be better than whatever's coming from for PlayStation VR. Yeah, but the experience on PlayStation VR is so different. Oh, for sure. That's a t- that's a really good question, by the way. Also, also the uh, the Switch is a hundred bucks cheaper, <laughs> and I'll go Switch too, just because I know I'm going to get hundreds and hundreds of hours yeah. out of it. I mean, not that I'm not looking forward to Star Trek next month if it makes it. Yeah. This time, yeah. But uh, I just think the Switch is a stronger bet this year. I'll go Switch too. And that's it for Game Face episode eighty-two. I'm gonna run to the bathroom. <laughs> Game Face is up and out. <laughs>